Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. All right, today on the Gypsy Tales podcast, very lucky to tie down the one and only Kerry Hart. Um, Kerry's in town right now because his lovely wife, Pink, is on uh, is on tour and doing a bunch of shows in Brisbane. So, kind of just got lucky that timing worked out, and we got to sit down for a good few hour chat. Haven't seen Kerry in like a really long time, so it was cool to catch up and and have a conversation away from a, a video shoot. He's a super smart dude. He's got a lot to say on a lot of different topics, um, and that's come through. I guess just living a really crazy life from being a motocross kid that was trying to be pro to being a pro motocross rider to then being a freestyle rider uh, to then owning a motocross team nightclubs yeah he's he really has done it all Um, and throughout that whole time he's kept sight of who he is as a person Uh, and we speak about on the podcast but he's got all the same friends that he kind of came up with you know 20 25 years ago so really enjoyed this chat i hope you guys too do as well um and without further ado gypsy towers podcast with kerry hart nice cheers brother cheers we're doing it nice right on Mm. yeah i feel like i feel like if you had a podcast writer it would include jameson yeah, I'm, I'm pretty simple. It's either wine or whiskey. <laughs> yeah, because you guys, um, I think the last time I spoke to you, you were buying a winery. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess, yeah, it's it's all pretty much coming public now. Um, oh, I was gonna, oh, no, it's fine. Idea. No, it's all good. Uh, yeah, we, you know, going back a good handful of years, we uh, we bought a small winery in an undisclosed location. Let's just say that. And, I'll uh, edit out where I said and, uh, it was. And, uh, yeah, it's just like a mellow little property that, you know, me and my wife wanted a simple sort of lifestyle and area to raise our kids in, you know, away from the cities. We always had a deal that, you know, by the time Willow was five, you know, this was before Willow was born, but by the time she was five, we were going to be living outside the cities. And, yeah. um, she's always been really into wine. I like drinking wine. <laughs> I like, yeah. uh, I like working. So anyways, long story short, we, uh, we bought a small, uh, working vineyard and uh, no winery, but just a working vineyard and lived there for a while and have slowly been learning the trade. And yeah, then this fall, uh, my wife's uh, wine goes to market. Really? Yeah. Damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty rad. I didn't know if you guys were actually going to sell it or what the deal was, but I got the impression you just wanted it for the uh, motocross. 
uh, potential that that place could have. And plus, it's like fairly close to a track that you ride quite a lot. So no, it was just kind of dumb luck. We ended up where we were, but really, really I mean, my wife, she's always really had an interest in wine. Um, you know, I'm I I like to drink wine. Um, now that I've gotten farther down the road with her doing it, I enjoy the process of growing the grapes and working in the vineyard. I personally don't care so much for once it goes. Yeah. gets you know comes out of the vineyard into the crush room but uh but it's it's fun it's a great lifestyle it's it's more of a passion project for my wife and it's something that we can do together and you know she kind of jokes about that hopefully uh you know her sacrifices now will make our kids amazing winemakers yeah <laughs> you know? are, the, are the kids into the the whole like farm lifestyle my daughter loves it yeah, yeah. absolutely because i guess jameson's it. probably not old enough to yeah, really yeah. He, get, he's yeah. a little young. He's only 20 months old, but my daughter, she's seven and she absolutely loves it. You know, I, I got my shop where I do all my motorcycle projects at and, you know, we got a little lake on our property and she goes fishing and, you know, chases squirrels and helps mom make wine and comes down the shop with me. She's got a little clubhouse down there and just, you know, just lives a country lifestyle. Is she a bit of a tomboy? She's definitely a tomboy. That's yeah. Sick. Yeah. She, uh, I got her riding bicycles at three, motorcycles at three and a half. She's been racing BMX and she was three and a half. She's actually, that's the one thing that we've been doing pretty consistently is, um, you know, it's been a little tough on, on this tour, but actually we were hoping to maybe get out and ride some BMX these next couple of weeks since we're in warmer weather, but she loves racing BMX. It's all about it. That's crazy. Likes riding dirt bikes. I'm not pushing that one too heavy. Yeah. I just wanted to build a ride around the farm with me, but, uh, but she loves racing. That's one of the things that I've always like really respected about you is that you were this crazy fucking motocross superstar with the whole the bad boy image back in the day and like you're a legit rock star and then you marry a pop star that's maybe one of the most famous women in the world yeah and you've kept all your same friends yeah and you still build all your bikes like so many people get to the place that you've got to and just turn into these fucking weirdos <laughs> and and like ditch all the friends that they grew up with and it's still like i mean even you know like i kind of cruise through your instagram before you come on and it's like you and Twitch are still giving each other shit. Oh, yeah. You and Big B are still giving mm -hmm. each other shit. And it's yeah. like none of this has seemed to change Kerry Hart, the dude. And I mean, even, you know, like I said, the last time we hung out, we split a bottle of Jameson yeah. uh, while a couch was burning in Glamis. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. just, this shit just never got to you, dude. How did, how did that, how does that work? Well, I mean, the thing, I think a lot of people, don't, you know, maybe, I guess maybe the confusing part to what you're saying is, uh, you know, me, me and Alicia, my wife now, Pink Singer, we've been together for 17 years. It's been a minute. So we grew up together. Yeah. So it's not like all of a sudden this just happened. I mean, honestly, I was probably more popular and definitely was making more money than her when we first yeah. started dating. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, uh, you know, and then as careers grow and each of us grow in our own aspect, nothing really changes. But that's also the same for her. Like, I think the type of person, you know, that you perceive me to be and that I am, I wouldn't want to be in some weird, kooky, Hollywood-based relationship where, you know... Some people it was, froth that shit, Yeah, I man. could give a rat's ass about yeah. it. I grew up in Vegas. I've been around all that shit. Yeah. Look, I had a great time when I was younger and earlier in our relationships, you know, doing red carpets, whatever. But, you know, like I said, we grew up together. And, dude, I'm, I'm 43. Mm. I have no desire to do that shit. I mean, I support my wife doing it. But, but my, it my point is, like, we grew up she together. She doesn't like doing that shit. She doesn't. Either, you know? No, she doesn't. She would much rather be at home on the couch with a bottle of wine and the kids, you know, fighting with each other. I mean, that's, that's way more entertaining to both of us than, 
stuffed in suits and dresses and going down the red carpet. I mean, it's a, it's a necessity. It's part of the machine, mm. but it's not what we prefer. And, and like I said, we've, we've grown up together to where, yeah, we did that stuff when we were younger and it was a lot more exciting in your twenties than it is in your late thirties or forties. But, mm. but to your point, like I'm also a really simple person, you know, like I, I still stress happy. on money, you know, yeah. I still, I'm still cheap as fuck, you know, <laughs> like I don't like to spend money, you know, like I haven't in that respect and it probably drives my wife crazy. I haven't evolved. I still wear Dickie jeans and free clothes. Mm. So I'm, I'm still mentally the same person I was in my twenties in my forties. It's crazy. Uh, like the life that, you live right and it's so easy to see people right now and you kind of like get uh like people would have a perception of you like maybe there's people that come or i guess come across you through the pink thing yeah but it's like the life that you had before is this exceptionally crazy life that it's like you invented a culture. Like there was a core group of you guys that created a culture that is still going now. Yeah. And it's like, what a time to be alive back in that era. And we had Travis on the podcast not long ago. Uh-huh. And even Travis is like this megastar yeah. frothing on you doing the first backflip. Yeah. How long ago does that even feel like when you were doing that? Was that Gravity Games? That was that Gravity did? Games. Yeah. Uh, 90, two th- or 2000. 2000 or 2001 anyway I was say it, it feels like a life you know it's a lifetime ago i mean yeah, how long ago does that feel like? oh it feels like a lifetime ago you know and, and you you kind of hit the nail on the head like i'm glad i was around that period not so much for you know uh starting or building a, a sport but just how fun it was back then and how low pressure and just rage well you were like the rules, man. yeah exactly and we got we got away with shit that Thank oh God there's no God. social media around back in those Dude. days. You know, I mean, just like destroying hotel rooms and being wild and crazy. Just young kids, you know, traveling the world, riding motorcycles. Like it was it was the most insane time of my life from that standpoint. And just think about too, like, I mean, I'm one of the kids you influence. Right. Right. Like my life, I grew up in Cairns, which is middle of fucking nowhere. Uh-huh. And we got crusty demons on vhs (laughs) yep and we just we literally played crusty demons on vhs until they stopped working yeah and then we had to go to wayne leonard's motorcycles which was the (laughs) only store in town that sold those vhs's (laughs) and we bought them and then we did it again yeah and it's like that millions of kids yeah that was inspired not even just that like the musical taste like listening to motorhead and like all of these yep you know, it's like you guys created something that, that still is going now. And it's like, even I wonder like for myself, like I got into the filmmaking side of things. Yeah. It's like, how like, what's the economy of what you guys did that still goes now? Like I made money making dirt bike films because I watched your dirt bike yeah. films. Yeah. Like it, it's a, there's a crazy economy that, that you guys kind of started and it's still going. I mean, it's cool. I, you know, I'm going to sound like the salty old guy right now, but, uh, you know, unfortunately what motocross, freestyle motocross, all action sports, really skate, snow, whatever it is, what it was in the nineties as like this targetified. Yeah. Well, it's just like, it was exciting. Everything was new and you know, there was no internet that ruined everything and social media that ruined everything and instant gratification, but there was a culture and a lifestyle behind it back in those days. And, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, my hat goes off and I actually feel bad for all the, let's just take motocross what I know of all these young bangers that are just throwing down the most insane tricks but 
for nothing. It's like for what? For yeah. a highlight reel on Instagram on the popular page or you know for that little bit that you might catch on X Games and it's like and there's no story of telling their personality or their like there's no image to them. Well, it's you just, almost it's a can't meat have <laughs> you almost can't have a personality these days because there's so many ways that you can get fucked by social media oh, yeah. or by like even like you went through it with Kenny. Like when Kenny was drinking Coors yeah. after he won the title with you guys, yeah. there was like backlash yeah. for this dude that just worked his whole life yeah. to win this championship. Yeah, he's having a couple beers. And then he had a, a couple beers and a pizza and then he's getting crucified. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're almost like what made you guys famous was the fact that you were carrying on like living this extreme life and everyone was all about it. Yeah. And now you get these dudes that try to do that shit today. And it's like, dude, put put a lid on that. You can't do that. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the slippery slope. I think uh, that was the good and the bad of my personal career, how I run all my businesses, how I ran my race team. I mean, dude, I was the one there get, giving Ken Roxon a beer. Mm. Like, fuck you guys. This dude just worked his ass off on a championship. He's a grown-ass man. He can enjoy a couple of beers or whatever that might be. Mm. You know, and I think that's just where the heart and soul, not from an alcohol standpoint, but like the heart and soul has kind of been sucked out of action sports due to political correctness and social media and always being on your best behavior. And, and I've, I really wish, and I actually, I'm going to kind of start beating up on Fox about this a little bit, but I think people are kind of looking for that resurgence of, Mm. I could be totally off, but me and my old standpoint, like I think it'd be awesome to go out and do a new terra firma and go spend 12 months filming and yeah, cool. Like you don't have to get the double flips and the triple flips, but do the road trips with like all the iconic guys, yeah. you know, get Roxanne and Carmichael out for a trip and like maybe me and Twitch and, you know, getting back to that roots of, because it wasn't the writing that had you guys stoked on Krusty. I mean, it was cool. It was rad crashing and big dune jumps or whatever, but it was a party and the lifestyle. It was all and, of it. Yeah. yeah. Being in a van and like, you know, being like feeling like you're in the passenger seat of, you know, going through Peru or going through Brazil or, you know, whatever that situation might be. It's getting back to the lifestyle of it. I mean, why do people sit here and listen to podcasts? Mm. They can't even see it. And if they do see it, it's just two guys sitting at a table, but they want to feel like they're involved with something. And I feel like that's a huge piece missing in, I mean, action sports in general, but specifically motocross. I mean, that's why Ken is such a fucking rock star because you hear him in interviews. Fuck everybody. He don't care. Mm. As long as he's doing his work during the week and doing what he's supposed to do on the weekends and winning races and going after championships. Fuck everybody. Dude, what a, what a fucking kid. Yeah, like, did you enjoy the the year, couple years work with him? Like, it'd be hard not to enjoy being around that guy. Yeah, well, that was a cool thing. Me and Ken were friends before yeah, we were, were huh? work work relationship, and uh, you know, we were friends for quite a few years. We have the same management company, and you know, and when we got together, you know, I kind of gave him the speech. I said, okay, look, you know, here's our friendship. We're gonna set this over here, and then we're gonna work, yeah. and then when the clock ticks, we can go back to being friends, and we can pick up this glass, and. uh you know, I mean, look, it's it's always tough. I think it's probably tougher for Ken because he saw a side of me that wasn't always fun carry. It was business yeah, carry. Yeah. But I think he respected me. And I think I know he respected Carmichael and he respected the whole program. And look, we had ups and downs like any program does with, you know, whether Ken with Honda now or Eli Tomac with Cowie or anybody else. It's It's part of the machine. But in the end, I think to go through the path that we went down. I mean, he's a young kid. He was 20 when he came and rode for us. Yeah, it's Already crazy, won a championship, yeah. you know, and not many 20 year olds know what they want, what they do, they don't want. But to go through the course that we went through, the highs and the lows, and to end it on winning a championship, you can't really be mad at that. And to this day, 
it's never affected mine and his relationship. We mm. still text back and forth all the time. He just came to my wife's show a couple of months ago. And I'll tell you what, if, if he was going to go out and have a beer, I'd probably be the first person he'd call. Yeah. So, and I think too, like I was involved in the JDR team, which was really running in parallel uh, with you guys, it's very similar era, uh, I guess, privately funded, which was quite similar. Mm-hmm. And then that manufacturer support, like there's so much detail that goes on behind the scenes. Like even Suzuki brings out a bike with air forks. Ken's yeah. got to run air forks. Ken yep. doesn't like air forks. Mm-hmm. His performance isn't as good. That's a, a reflection on the team. Yeah. It's like, there's so many things that are out of your control. They're out of Ken's control. And they're things that you can't say in the moment to the average fan. Like, Hey man, these forks are actually a piece of shit. Yeah. We have to run them. Yeah. Ken doesn't like them. Uh, mm, we're kind of fucked. Yeah. So it's like, but you can't say that because you're, no. you're in, you're in that cool. Well, you're in that world. Well, but look, here's the reality. I mean, you can look at racing as whatever it is, but we're not curing cancer. And at the end of the day, what we're doing, we're entertainment and we're selling products for people. Yeah. So <laughs> same thing with NASCAR. I mean, you think, you know, some race on the tracks and I say, you know, fucking McDonald's sucks and it gave me diarrhea. That's my fucking team sponsor. Like it doesn't yeah. work that way, you know? Yeah. So, you know, there's a perception and then there's a reality behind closed doors and it's just part of racing, part of competing. Dude, what you guys did, like the Hart and Huntington team that had <laughs> fucking stripper poles in the yeah. pits. And yeah. then how many years removed was it until you won the 450 AMA motocross championship with Kerry Hart and Ricky Carmichael who were way more similar than people think yeah but in terms of like the perceived oh, opposites. It, was, it was just like doosh, everyone's yeah. minds got blown but it's like to take it from that black and white like were you on cowie first was that the first we started you? on honda we started on honda, honda okay. went to cowie then to then to suzuki so it's like what what a trip to yeah. to do that and i mean just the effort that i know that it takes to run the team for yeah. a, a person in your position in life to just not have to do that. I think it really showed like your passion for the sport. Yeah. And it was a crazy fucking, just to come from stripper poles to Ken Rocks and win international. Yeah. That's a crazy ride, dude. We, we had a 10 year run from year one to our last year winning the, cha- or actually not, not win the championship with Ken, but the next year with, uh, with Brock and Bogle. But, um, yeah, it was a 10 year run and we st- basically, you know, we got into this thing at that time, really my focus was aside from my personal writing career was my, my tattoo business and more so the clothing business at that time. And, uh, you know, at that time, freestyle motocross guys were making a shit ton of money, you know, myself included. And we were a small business and we weren't really set up to be able to go sponsor a bunch of marquee freestyle athletes or a bunch of athletes in general. And I'd been itching really to get back into the race world. You know, I kind of had a, a, a chip on my shoulder about how I left racing, you know, yeah. myself and, you know, and Metzger and Deegan, a lot of guys kind of got forced out of racing. Um, but luckily enough, we went on to do freestyle motocross and that was successful, but I, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder about motocross and I wanted to get back in it and kind of show that, you know, some tattooed scumbag that kind of got shunned out of racing can come back and do something. So when we got back into it, you know, it was myself and Kenny Watson that really started the program. And, you know, for the first handful of years, it was, it was a smoke show literally, you know, because when I went into it, I knew we were going to be working with riders and no offense to them, but because they of what we were the paying, championship well, level we, we weren't even paying these guys. We we're just taking yeah. them racing. So from that standpoint, you know, our goal was to make mains and 
we knew that okay, if we weren't going to win on the track, we had to win we off had to the win track. In the pits. <laughs> exactly, and we were going to win in the pits. And that, yeah. and those were the days when, you know, when you would walk through a Supercross pit in those days, it was all business. And you know, at best case scenario, you could stand in line for an hour and get an autograph. But you go back in the stadium, there was no atmosphere in the pits. There was no excitement. It was very, very. I mean, there was no music. It was extremely dry. And that's the one thing I'm kind of proud about because because yeah, now when, it's a lot different. Now it's a party. You know, I mean, fucking tundras. Exactly. And you know, Monster has their big old you know moving stage and DJs and you know and every every team is now activating from some standpoint and it's brought a lot of excitement to racing because mm. before that I mean that's how we won I mean and we were we were literally bringing people through our truck and like where at that time it was like nope you got to stay back you can only get an autograph yeah. and we don't want you even looking over here and don't look at our bikes we were bringing people through and we had Rockstar as a sponsor and we were doing Rockstar beer pong so people could come into our truck and like be under the canopy and play Rockstar pong and listen to music and and the, I and you before guys had DJs and shit. Well, yeah, we had guest Kenny DJs was on the mic. Yeah, we had guest DJs coming through. Like my buddies from Cottonmouth Kings would come through and DJ and different people. And and without knowing it, I mean, I can't. I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, I, like I've foreseen the yeah. future. The future, but at that time, that was that was before creating content was really a thing yet. That was yeah. before data collecting was a thing yet. And we would have people come through. And at that point, we we're kind of like, well let's start getting everybody's email information so we can start sending email blasts out. So we started that and then we went from pen and paper to actually using iPads and collecting data. And what a lot of people don't know is like, as we were a smoke show and we evolved this thing, we signed our, all of our major contracts before Kenny came along and we lost them while Kenny was winning the championship because that machine caught up, meaning yeah. where Take Jimmy John's sandwich shop, okay? Jimmy John's sponsors NASCAR, and they know what their return investment is on NASCAR, and they know if they spend X amount of dollars in this footprint, they're gonna get a return on that. Now, we signed them, and I'll fast track really quickly, because at that time, NASCAR wasn't really collecting data. So they came to us and like, wait a minute, you can give You're me, getting I'm getting you know 5,000 unique email addresses every week for how many races? That's what we sold our program on. Yeah. And it's, and people are always kind of like scratching their head like, well, you won the championship and then your team went away two years later. It's like, it's not about what you do on the track because you know how many times I got a phone call from Jimmy himself at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning and he's re-watching the live feed of the Supercross and he's like, dude, I can't see my fucking logo. Like, what, what's, what's happening out there? I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. He's like, well, I mean, it's great we're doing the pits, but now NASCAR is doing that as well. And we eventually started to lose sponsors mm. because of shitty TV packages and bullshit with Feld. And that. so long story short, like it's, it's funny, like how we kind of started doing this smoke show, literally. And as the program evolved, that smoke show is what got us going with those sponsors and got us to win a championship. And then at a certain point, me and Ricky are like, you know what? I'm kind of done traveling. I'm done going to 25 events a year. And we all have kids now. We're not in our teens anymore, or twenties and thirties, and kind of let her go off the pasture. Dude, it, it gets uh, a lot harder than people think, and especially the mechanics. Like, oh, yeah, that's the one thing I learned from my couple of years doing the entire circuit with JDR mm -hmm. is that the mechanics are on like no money and doing the craziest job, the craziest travel schedule, like. It's really hard, even for me as like a dude that was filming these races, mm -hmm. to just keep on that grind, man. Like that. Oh, it's that, brutal. That shit's brutal, dude. And like, I remember one day in particular at Bud's Creek, and it was like just so fucking hot. And I'm this kid that 
frothed on motocross my whole life would have given anything to be at buds creek and i was like halfway through the season i was like you know what fuck this i'm watching out here. <laughs> i'm watching this shit on fox and i'm going back in the semi yeah and i watched the motos of buds creek my first time there yeah inside the, in the semi. truck oh, yeah. i was just like i'm over it it's, it's brutal it's a grind it is you know i mean you know for us and it's all race programs you know we we start the 15th of september I mean, mm. 15th of September is testing and development and Monster Cup. And and you run that all through preseason. And then you got, was it 32 races between Supercross and Outdoor? And when that checker flag flies at Ironman, everybody gets two weeks vacation, which basically is the 1st of September. And you start again the 15th of September. And that that is repeat for mm. the 10 years we did it. You know, and for me, it was like, I'm selling, trying to sell sponsorship from, you know, June until December and then surprise races start here and then I was obligated to go to 15 to 16 supercrosses another 10 sponsorship appearances so I was on the road for 25 weekends out of the year and dude it's just a grind and stressful yeah and it's it's people always say like and it's definitely one of the things I mean and I'm sure you could even see this with uh Alicia and what she has to go through people are like yeah. you live in the dream man I'd give anything it's like you Dude, would that's the you dream would give I hate anything. to see the fucking nightmare <laughs> yeah you would give anything yeah but you're not there and yeah it changes when you're actually in all this and I mean even like she just copped a bunch of shit the other day because didn't she have to cancel yeah, some she got shows sick. yeah and it's like people get sick man like every single person goes like like even uh i had a friend the other day that was saying like oh man i got so sick and then work just wouldn't let me like wouldn't let me not come in they're like you have to come in i'm like fuck them and it's like they're probably the same people that they bought the concert tickets and are complaining and then they're like oh well, she just <laughs> like she's sick you got the best job in the world and you're gonna be and it's like mm, come on man yeah i mean it's it's brutal i mean I don't know. I, I guess I guess kind of answer your question or to, to to jump on that topic. It's yeah, from the outsider mm. and even in my shoes in my twenties, her shoes in her late teens, you would give your fucking left nut to be yeah. in that truck and at that event and racing and living that lifestyle. Understandably, fast forward twenty years, it's not quite as exciting. And not to mean that, not to say that. It's not as exciting for her, but the perception, oh, yeah. it's all rock and roll. Well, you know what? In your early 20s, when you can party all night, go on stage and then party all night or contest and rage all night and sleep all day and repeat the next day, sure. But when you got two kids, you're in the, you know, for her in her late 30s, does a gnarly fucking show, super physical show. She ain't up there lip syncing like the rest of them are. She's up there putting it down, singing. Well, she's doing circus Exactly. Away. Like it's, you, 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 and she'll do this run, she'll do. 200 plus shows in two years it's fucking crazy and not including the six months that we were out doing promo flying all over the world with the kids so that she could go do radio spots and tv spots i mean it's a three-year cycle from start to finish it's gnarly yeah and it's the thing is too and i think that this just comes with life in general right is it like if you're this talent like this talented talented person you're so far on the extreme end of talent then that equal measure there's darkness that's oh, yeah. there so for whatever light you've got for whatever the 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 highest high is yeah. there's an equally low low oh yeah so it's always this trade-off and if you live your life in this middle where you don't have like these crazy highs 
you're not going to have these crazy lows. Yeah. But the further you start creeping your your spectrum of you know getting to where you're in a stadium performing for 150,000 people, then the equal is true on the low end of the equation oh, totally. and the, the pressure that it, it would uh, take to kind of keep that up and all of the things that then come with that. Yeah. And I just think that the people that can make those calls that say like, fuck, you're living the dream, man. It's their highs and their lows. They, they just don't have the same perspective yeah. as what people have when they're actually living it. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's all about what you want to put into it. You know what I mean? For myself with my career, as well as my wife, it's, it's always been a business business first. Like I trained, I worked hard at it. I, you know, I didn't get too consumed in the lifestyle, which I'm sure, you know, a lot of athletes do. And it was a machine and I treat it as a business just like my wife does. She doesn't, you know, she, there is no blurring of pink and Alicia. I mean, she's the same person on stage as off the stage. And I think that's why people can relate to her so yeah. well. And I think it's why people relate to me so well. I mean, like you brought up earlier, I'm, I'm sort of the working class dudes guy. Yeah. But the people that get so consumed in it, like you're saying, that's where it can go awry. And it's funny cause like I've, <laughs> I've just been playing catch up on a lot of TV shit while we've been on the road. Like I'll put stuff on while I'm working out. And I just finally started watching this Red Bull series from when Ken was writing for me. It's like called MX Nation or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And it, it's funny because I just watched it a couple of days ago, but there was like this this part of this interview where it was going back and forth between Ken being interviewed and Dungey and Alden Baker being interviewed. And Ken, and this is when Ken was writing for me. And Ken's like, dude, I got to have fun. If I'm not having fun, I'm going to suck on the fucking weekends. I'm going to be burned out. And he was talking about why he went away from Alden Baker. But then you have Alden's interview and Alden's like, well, if it means burnout and more championships, then I'm going to push my guys to go win more championships and burn out earlier. And it's like what you were just talking about, like the good and the bad, the light and the yeah. dark. It's like, you know, for me, it's like, do I want to be number one or do I want to be like number five and have a fuck ton of fun and do it for a long time? Yeah. I'll, I'll take number five. It's and dude, Dunge is the guy that was cool. He want he wanted that legacy. He wanted every championship, and now he's pieced out. He's but dude, the first podcast I did was with Dunge, mm -hmm. and I'm like, all right, what's next for Ryan Dunge? Like, he doesn't have a clue. Yeah, there's nothing else. Yeah, and I felt I didn't feel sorry for him because it was the choices that he made. But I was really surprised that there's this guy that's this like beacon of hope and a Wheaties box dude. And he doesn't even know what he wants to do with the rest of his life at 27 years old because he was so consumed with racing. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's just the choice. Like, that's the choice that he made. And even when people want to say, like, oh, Dunge's life must be perfect. Could you imagine being 27 and your entire life and identity is wrapped into a thing that you don't do anymore? Well, I think that's also, you know, there's there's obviously been a, some pretty gnarly deaths in action sports over the last couple of years. And I think that's something that people don't really talk about is like what happens life after motocross or what happens life after being an athlete. You know, there's, I think there's a fine line between like this whole con concussion syndrome thing that's happening mm -hmm. and just post athlete depression. I mean, there's guys committing suicide left and right because it could be concussion syndrome or it could be, dude, I, I no longer have an identity. I'm 32 and I'm washed up and I got to go find a job and I don't want to live this life anymore. Mm. You know, and, and I know that's a very extreme situation. It's of it, real, but, dude. It's real. But I'll tell you what, a guy like Ken, Ken 
if he tomorrow he won his last championship he's and he's Gucci, like I'm done baby. he's gonna be like alright I'm gonna go fucking wakeboarding today yeah. and then I'm gonna go party with my buddies and then yeah. I'm gonna go to Germany and like that kid knows how to go have a good time Yeah, because I feel like he's balanced pleasure and, and fun times with competitive serious life and I think he's gonna be one of those dudes that enjoys it more I mean I'll tell you what I'm stoked to see Villapoto right Dude, now because I don't really know time. Villa that well I mean I know him just from the races but now seeing him post motocross career, like, dude, doing beer bongs after one, winning the 125 race, I was like, fuck, dude, why didn't you do that in your career? Like, that would have been so punk rock. You know, dude. I mean, like, like talk about, like, you know, I mean, like, he's getting sleeve now, you know, beer bongs on the podium. And I know it's a different different lifestyle and a different time, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's finding himself because that's the thing that makes me most nervous about people. Yeah, well, you look at... Like, I mean, I went through it. Did Yeah, did you? Because yeah, I mean, 100%, you know, like... For me, you know, luckily enough, you know, not to go like down a big old long dark story, but you know, I had what we got was, time, bro. yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> you know, what was considered, which I thought was going to be a career-ending injury, I got hurt really bad on Tony Hawk's tour back in '03, mm. and just through dumb luck, I had started to go down the path of opening this tattoo shop, which was just going to be a little passion project. So, anyways, you know, you guys kind of know the history on that. I did that, but there was there has been times in my life, even most recently, you know, like with what I'm doing in V Twin right now. There's times where it's like, oh fuck, like this is my identity. Like I've been riding motorcycles since I was four. I've been professional since I was 17. So I've been professional for 25 years. And what am, what am I away from a dirt bike? You know, like when people say, what, what do you do for a living? How do I answer them? You know, mm. what, you know and, and that's a pretty intense piece that, you know, and you know, getting back to the dungy thing and all that's like, fuck, I mean, I hope he has a good, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure around him to where you know he can go transition and go to do some really fun positive things and not go to the dark side and be like well fuck what do I do now I'm 27 years old I got a boatload of money and I don't know what to do to make myself happy yeah it's it's definitely it's got to be it's got to be a super hard place and I guess everyone has to go through that at some point in their life right yeah. but most people do it in a way more organic way if that makes sense like without a lot of money without cameras without people knowing who you are so i feel like it's a it's something that we all have to go through i mean dude even like i remember being in the in the states when i was there and i was like 20 some like 23 24 i mean it would have been around the, the time we last hung out and it's like i don't really know who the fuck i was yeah you well, know and it's like i feel like i'm kind of just figuring it out now i just turned 30 yeah. But it's like, at the same time, like I didn't have people looking at me. I didn't have, I didn't have any of that. And it's like, I guess now it's a, a little bit like that with the podcast, but on like a micro sort of scale. Yeah. But I feel like I started doing this for the right reason, but I, and I kind of know who I am now, but I mean, I was just a lost kid. We all, we all do it. Oh, yeah. But the thing is with a guy like Dunge or Ken, it's like, they almost don't have to find out who they are with themselves it's because they kind of get told who they are by motocross media by how many championships they win by the contracts that they get by the people that are around them like the yes men yeah like fuck you yeah, you're ryan Dungey. oh you're gonna kill it man yeah ken rocks and so shit he's just out partying you're the man yeah so it's like you kind of these dudes get told who they are yeah yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird thing like uh, i have a buddy of mine who's a professional bmx dirt jumper and um you know, he's my age, he's 40, and I, I feel like we're just really, I mean, yeah, you, know, you can go back to McGrath or, or, or Carmichael, actually not even Carmichael because he's so young, but you can go back to McGrath or whatever, but prior to like 
the 40 somethings like my age right now, or even you know, getting into like the older moto guys, like you're really just now starting to scratch the surface and getting into guys that have been, you know, let's take motocross for instance, prior, prior to the German McGrath era, no one made enough money to retire from motocross. Yeah. It was just like, if you're a Bob Hanna or Ricky Johnson, it's like, cool, or Jeff Ward, like, Jeff Ward, yeah. cool, you know, I just won a bunch of championships, and now I'm gonna segue into car racing, or I'm gonna go do something that's gonna make me money to keep going, because you don't have enough money to retire on. Yeah. And now I feel like you're really starting to see this first generation of, okay, I got a ton of money, to your point, I got a ton of money, and I just totally, everything that I am is a dirt bike rider, or a professional skateboarder, or a BMX rider, and, now my life's over and and I've I've been seen through social media and and dot coms there like there's been an oversaturation of myself now what do I do you know and it, I think it's just kind of a funny place because most people most of these kids and I say kids because Dungey's a kid and yeah, Ken's a kid know. it's like I wonder if they really think about like post motocross like you live so much in the moment yeah, like you only yeah. think about the the championship that's going to wrap up in the next six eight weeks like what is your thought process when you hit 35, you know? And it's kind of a, kind of an interesting thing. And we're going to see that play out really kind of moving forward, you know, and whether that's BMX or snow or, or moto or freestyle, you know, I mean, it's, I think a lot of guys gets, and myself included, like I can go back in my head, you know, for me, my exciting, my most exciting time in my career was the late nineties and early two thousands because I was going somewhere. I was building something. Yeah. I hadn't quite been there yet. And then as it goes on, like I always kind of kept thinking back in my head, like, Oh man, what am I going to do when this is done? So you had those thoughts when you were? Oh, yeah. Really? I still do. I mean, why, to this day. Why do you think that you had those thoughts? Because, like, uh, all right, so let's look at, let's compare you and Dunge. We'll just keep that theme going, mm -hmm. right? Dunge kind of has it all together, right? So it's like he kind of has time. Like, he's having the proper rest. He's sleeping right. He's eating right. He's got all these people looking after stuff for him. He's got the time to sit there and go, like, okay, what am I going to do when this is over? You were fucking out of control. Mm. You were living this crazy rock star lifestyle, partying. If you would compare you two and say, which one do you think was thinking about life after this crazy ride? Kerry Hart would not be the dude that people would pick. Probably not. Yeah. Why do you think you were actually thinking about that stuff? Um, I mean, well, I mean, I, gr I grew up pretty broke. I mean, you know, I didn't go without but you know my old man was a construction worker it was just me and him and he always taught me so your mom wasn't around no uh, -uh. my no, mom's my, yeah my mom split when i was like two like i still talk for her, but you know i stayed with my dad and you know i was always with my old man and you know he was a hard-working construction worker barely got by and his, i mean there was times where we either had hot water or i had the parts to go race that weekend you know yeah. so but my point is is that you know he was always you know really strict on me for as far as grades and like keeping a even head on my shoulders and I always kind of looked at it as like, look, I'm not, you know, at the time I was a racer before freestyle motocross, I'm not a prodigy. I'm a fast Vegas kid. I'm a bit, I'm a mid pack racer at best. You know, I made some mains, you know, had a good time, but I always knew like, look, I'm never going to be Jeremy McGrath and making millions of dollars a year and going to retire off of this. I'm going to do this as long as I can. You know, that's why I was really good in school and I was going to go be an accountant and I always had a plan B. But then when freestyle motocross popped in, I mean, literally overnight, we all started making some good money there was a thing where it's like, yeah, I want to do this forever. I want to ride this out, but I'd have to be a fucking idiot to think this is going to last forever. Yeah. I mean, one, you couldn't have seen what was going to happen. No, no idea. And once again, it, as fast as it, it, it got successful, it could have nose dropped 
two years later. It could it have was been a like flash a, in the pan. A bubble, yeah. It totally could have been. And and, and sort of it was it a was bubble. in a way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. luckily it lasted quite a while for a handful of us, but, and, you know, compared to what guys are doing now versus what we were, it's a totally different world. But, but yeah, I was, always, even though I could enjoy myself in the moment, and I, like I said, I do this today. I can enjoy myself in the moment, but I am always thinking, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next play? What's my next move? Because, you know, me growing up, I mean, like I said, I, I didn't live on the streets, but we were broke. I mean, I had a head over a roof over my, my head, but I saw how hard my dad worked and what sacrifices I had to give for certain things. And I don't ever want to go back to that again, especially being frivolous and staying in four seasons and doing Still you know, tours and, and all. Yeah. You know, like doing crazy freestyle motocross tours and, you know, open, open bottle, you know, nightclubs, blah, 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 to go from that to swing the shovel for a living. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I was always really looking forward to the next play and, and probably put a lot of pressure and stress on myself, but it kind of made me the person who I am. And that's why I was always going after, you know, whether it's my tattoo shops, my nightclubs, my race teams, you know, my businesses, like I was really driven. Yeah. When, when we had Trav on, he said that he didn't really realize in the moment that Deegan was cultivating this whole thing and he was creating this rivalry. And it was like, Trav just thought Deegan was just a dick that wanted to fuck with him. Mm-hmm. But really, Deegan was a super smart dude that was cultivating this image and knew that he could play against Travis and make it the all-American kid next door versus the punk rock tattooed yeah. freak show. Yeah, totally. So, but... I guess it's like, cause Travis isn't a dumb dude, but he no. like Deegan was such a good actor that he actually had Travis fooled to where all Trav had to do was be himself and Deegan's plan would work out fine. And they'd both make millions and millions of dollars. How much of it, because you're a super smart guy. And I think a lot of people, especially back then would have been like, here's this crazy fucking dude. That's just going around all the tattoos and backflips. And he's got spikes on his fucking armor. And how much were you playing that same game that Deegan was? I wasn't. I was not playing any games. That's also why I didn't get lumped into all that bullshit. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, Deegan is a smart guy, but if you go shake that tree, you're going to find a lot of pissed off people over in that camp. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's none of my business or anything to talk about. But I stayed in my own lane. You know, I I had I had a plan. And yeah, my, but so you did have a plan. I though, mean, I my plan was as much like of what I tried to do in motocross. I, I treated it as a business. I mean, I wanted to have a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. And I wanted to go party with all the boys. But I tried to make it a business from a standpoint of leading up to when freestyle popped in 98. I was living in my van racing Supercross for and outdoors for the prior five years before that. No mechanic. I had 100 bucks a week and a calling card. Okay, like I didn't want to go back to living in my van. Great times. I had an amazing time doing it and I wouldn't train it for nothing. But I felt like I did have a plan. And my plan was to bust my ass and and ride and try to be innovative and be my own person. Because Mm -hmm. at that time, it's like, dude, I don't want to be lumped in with a bunch of other dudes. I mean, I I think Mike, Mike Metzger did a really good job for a long time being his own self. Travis was being his own self. You know, Deegan and Larry had their thing going on. I was just going to kind of stay in my lane and do my thing. And I was going to work really closely and good with my sponsors. And luckily enough, I got hooked up with Steve Asifin, who is the same manager that Pastrana has. And I worked, 
you know, like I didn't just catch cash a check and go out and buy a sports car or a nice house. I worked with my sponsors. I worked with my team managers and through those relationships is what helped me learn to build my brands. Cause I didn't go to yeah. college. I didn't have a rich dad or anybody, a sounding board. It was just me and my sponsors and my manager. And I spent time with my sponsors. Like, why are you paying me a bunch of money? You know, well, you, you're going to be the face of this new line or this new boot or this new gear. And you know, we want the people that follow you to, to purchase this stuff. So I learned from all that. That's, I can tell you, I made 200 plus mistakes in every business I've ever started, whether it's race teams, tattoo shops, all of it, payroll, whatever, but I knew how to build a brand. Yeah. I knew how to market it. And that's what, that's the, it's that perception. And if you do that right, seven times out of 10, everything else will work out. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did have a plan, but I wanted to be professional about it. And I wanted to have my own persona and my own self, which that, that was me. I, that was the nice thing that I didn't have, to, didn't act, have to act, you know, it was just me. You know, I was Vegas kid. I was do the next door to TJ Lavin, rode BMX and rode moto and was friends with everybody and rode my ass off and partied my ass off and was always on time for autograph signings. And, you know, and one thing I could tell people, if you look at my career from 98 until arguably whenever the end of it was technically, <laughs> you know, my last year doing contests. Yeah, what is the I don't know. Say, yeah. Who knows? So, <laughs> I don't think there is know, like a... Say, say it's 2015. So you, you look at that, you know, 13 year window. I was hurt a majority of it. Yeah, there was a period a of three years where I didn't even ride a motorcycle, but I kept my sponsors. Mm. And I think the, 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 the moral to that story is it ain't about what you do on the bike. It's about what you do off the bike or the skateboard or the bicycle or anything else. You know, I, I worked hard and I, and I, you know, I worked hard with my sponsors and my fan base and I busted my ass off my bike probably more than I did on my motorcycle. And that's what gave me my longevity. I got four medals to my name. And you know what, if I had three or two or one, it wouldn't make a difference anyways. Yeah. Like I, so that, I think my work ethic is what, you know, and, and my own desire to be my own person is kind of what just gave me my longevity. What you mentioned Steve, he's like this crazy behind the scenes, like puppet master almost, and not in like the negative puppet master. Like he's responsible for a lot of shit. Oh, he is. Like yeah. A, I mean, I've, so I'm one of his first, I mean, uh, Steve Aston. Yeah. Steve Aston. Yeah. Just listen. Yeah, yeah. Steve Aston with, uh, with Washington. I was one of his first eight athletes, you know, it was me and Bucky Lassick and Bob Burnquist and Dave Mirror, Ryan Nyquist and uh, a couple other people. I mean, even Travis came on a couple of years after us and, uh, he was Sheckler's dude. Sheckler. I mean, he was Sean White for a long time. I mean, you name it, every banger That's he's got. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the thing that was great about Steve was <clears throat> where I, once again, I didn't have a college education and I didn't have the know-how to negotiate my own contracts at the time and all that stuff. I had a person I could trust that was like, look, you just go do you. You focus on writing and working with your sponsors and working with your fan base and being at all the events and let me do all the nasty part. You know, mm. I'll do your contracts and, you know, handle all the billing and, and I'll be a good cop. Or he's like, I'll be a bad cop, you be a good cop. Mm. And, you know, over the years, I've I learned a lot through Steve and even through, I mean, still to this day, he's still my manager. We've been together for 20 years and he helped me, you know, get my Supercross team started. And I, and I learned a lot from Steve. And then the, the irony of it is, is fast forward all these years later, I can now start the conversations and, and, and get the iron in the fire with a sponsor and like through my Supercross team, you know, a lot of the sponsors collectively between myself or Kenny or whoever, like we brought the sponsors and then Steve just kind of closed it and did the contracts. Mm. So I was fortunate enough to learn a lot from Steve through those years. So we've always had a great working relationship that way where I could learn from him and he was always really honest with me, but behind the scenes, yeah, I mean, he was, he was the backbone of, 
I mean, you go back and look through, you know, all the top action sports athletes from the mid nineties until current day. I bet Steve has represented 80 to 90% of them or has yeah. had some influence in them along the way to help steer them through their career. It's, it's, it's definitely crazy. And I think that there's, there's a lot of people that talk shit about him. And I mean, I've, I've had nothing but good experiences with him. Um, oh, I mean, he's a fucking agent. He's, he's supposed agent, to be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like when you just look at what you said, like 80, 90% of people that exploded, like created this bubble. Oh yeah. He's been a part of. And mm-hmm. it's like, if you looked at the butterfly effect of Steve Astafin, Oh yeah. There's a lot of fucking money. There's oh, a sure. lot of shit that went down. Yeah. hundred percent. Because of this. I mean, he's, he's Ken Roxon's manager, you know, I mean, he's, no, he's a bright dude. Like, I mean, the, the funny thing is he's only three years, two years, three years older than me. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we got together in our twenties. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, he's a guy I'd love to actually get on the podcast because he's a super interesting cat that's had a, he's had a hand in a lot. Like it'd be, I just think people would actually kind of freak out to know how much stuff he was actually a part of yeah yeah i mean it'd, it'd even be funny I, I would like to hear that you know because there's a lot of stuff i don't remember due to the the hops and the barley and everything yeah. in between you know yeah when did the when did the backflip first become like a legitimate thing that you were going to try and do because that's something like fuck everything else <laughs> you were the first dude to backflip a dirt bike yeah how many people before you thought of doing it but thought it was impossible well, that was an interesting time in freestyle. You know, that was once again, you know, 2000 and there, there's this bubble had been created, you know, you know, you had, you had freestyle that kind of burst through the nineties and first contest started in the late, you know, 98, 99 and, you know, X games. Anyways, everything was really big and exciting. And it was almost like you, you'd think that it had capped out before the backflip, right? Well, that was the big discussion. And it's like, where can this go now? And it was, it was already huge. Yeah. And then when you did that, it's like it got sent into this stratosphere that people didn't even think it it could go in. And it it was already a bubble. And then after that, it was just, it was like a fucking land race after that. It was, it was crazy because at that time, you know, so what, what kind of got to that point was I'd move back, you know, I lived in Southern California, was tired of it. Did you do the Temecula thing? Yeah. Yeah. Did all that, hated it out there. Um, you know, I want to go back to Vegas. After I got got kind of established, moved back to Vegas. And um, when I moved back to Vegas, I moved next door to TJ Lavin. Me and Lavin were buddies. TJ Lavin's top BMX dirt jumper. And um, and at that time, I remember like late night, like ninety nine. I was actually living with him while my house was getting built next door. And there's all this, you know, commotion about. Okay, well, great freestyle motocross. It's been in X Games, but you know. It's, it's flattened out. How many, how many other tricks can you do? You take your hands off, you take your feet off, you know, Superman's whatever. And, and me, and I've always rode up, grown up riding BMX and me and TJ would ride BMX. I'd ride his backyard with them and then he'd come ride moto with me. And we just kind of kicked that conversation. I was like, dude, you like, you think it's possible? And I was like, I, I think so. I mean, anything's possible. So we kind of talked through it through, through the winter time, like early part of winter. And he's like, Hey, let's go out to Woodward and let's go spend a week in Woodward and do 10,000 flips into the foam pit and see what you think. See if you feel that it's possible to transition from a BMX bike to a dirt so bike. So you were flipping the BMX bike. Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause keep in mind, no this is pre, yeah, this is yeah, pre yeah, foam yeah, pit. Yeah. So, so me and me and TJ flew out to Woodward out in Pennsylvania and we spent about a week out there in uh, late winter, early spring. 
and just kind of learned it all. Got comfortable flipping and, you know, started the foam pit, then went to resi, then was flipping the box jumps and dirt jumps. And it just was a slow build over the course of a week. And, uh, at the end of the, and at the time I was also filming my documentary good times. Um, and it wasn't a plan thing. It was just kind of, you know, a year in the life at that point. So, uh, after we spent that week out there and I had my filmer there, we came back and we we're watching all the raw footage and we're talking about it. And I'm like, dude, I, I think I can do it. I mean, it's just about getting the bike spinning. You know, I, I'm not gonna be able to control it. I mean, at least at that time, you know, I'm not gonna be able to control it as much, but if I can get the inertia going, just fucking hold on. Right. You know, I'm young and dumb, like, 25, like 25 yeah, you know, it's like I'm 26 at the time. So, uh, so I was like, fuck, I'm, I'm going for it. So leading up to, so this was springtime. So leading up to uh, gravity games in Rhode Island, which I think was like June, you know, that was, that was the agenda. It's like, fuck it. So my dad, I had like a little private freestyle course, which at that time was just one jump. And we kind of spent three or four days kind of building the landing. Cause back, back in those days, my dad built a lot of the freestyle courses. Like he built gravity and a lot of X oh, games. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he built all, he built the first, the the one in Vegas, the first ever contest. He built yeah. that. Yeah. He was, he was the dude in the early 90s or the nineties oh, and two thousands building. Yeah. So we kind of just came up with an idea of what we thought was going to make it work. You know, we didn't know, but it just kind of rolled the dice and I just did a shit ton of visualization and, you know, I was still riding BMX with TJ and, you know, trying to flip a bunch on my bike and just start kind of stay in that mindset, get being comfortable upside down. And then, uh, dude rolled out to gravity games and just sent it. That was like, that was the, what is it? The four minute mile that you guys, that's the American thing, like four minute mile, three minute mile. Is it? Yeah. Something like that. That, that was the moment. Yeah. That was the light bulb moment where it was like a fucking hole had burst in the space time continuum <laughs> of what was possible. Yeah. And then from there that just the floodgates opened. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, man, like regardless of anything that, you, you know, you went on to do so much more in terms of contribution to the industry, but it's like you strip all the other shit. You were the first dude to do a backflip. Oh, it was cool. You know, it was a, it was, it was an amazing time in my life as well as one of the most torturous times in my life. But, uh, but it was rad, you know I mean? To just be from that first one happening and then two weeks later being on Jay Leno and yeah. the tonight show and on every news station worldwide, it was, it was insane. I mean, just, and not only just for me personally, but the attention that it brought the sport yeah, and action sports in general, but like it was, it was complete chaos. I remember I came over here and cause I, so not knowing I, I compression fractured my back when I, when I did that flip. And then about four months later, I came here to Australia back when they're doing the extreme games, I think in Melbourne. And, uh, and it was just a complete fucking frenzy. Yeah. It was, it was summertime down here cause we were going into our winter time and it was just a frenzy down here. And I literally, I used to just ride in t-shirts. I used to compete in t-shirts back then. I had to write with a Sharpie on my back of my t-shirt, no backflips today. Cause it was like, ah, you're here to flip. And I'm like, no, no. Dude. no. And honestly, and for me at that time, it wasn't like, oh, this is going to be like a, a trick in the stable. It was like, I just want to do this and put it to rest. Like, yeah. I don't want to have to keep doing this. Like, especially the the path I went down with having to then eject six months later. And then like just the course that I rode trying to kind of get this thing figured out and done. Like it was, I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do this all the time. This was just like a one trick pony shot. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's about what was it? Uh, quality, not quantity. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys, like you've spent a lot of time in Oz. Is this sort of like a second home for you guys? Like, is this where you come more than anywhere else? Um, I would say consistently. Yeah. I mean, for me through my motocross career, it was huge Krusty's for us. was massive. Yeah, here, Krusty's dude. was massive for us here. Um, 
you know, I did quite a few of those tours, but even, even after I quit doing Krusty tour, I would still come over quite a bit and do different stuff and, uh, and working with Fox and different companies. And, yeah. and then it's always been a strong market for my wife. So yeah, I mean, through my career and then more so now with her career over the last probably six or seven years, you know, it's kind of slowed down for me coming over here. It's almost like a second home. I just wish we could come here in the summer. I mean, we're just yeah. always chasing winter when we come here. Why but, is that? Is it just how the schedules work out? Uh, one thing I've learned through her job is that people don't want to go inside in the summertime. You know, mm-hmm. They want to go do outdoor music festivals or outdoor stuff. So yeah. she has to chase winter to go get people to go into arenas. Yeah. So like America, she does wintertime. As soon as she's done with the U.S. tour, we come here to Australia, do their wintertime or your, sorry, your wintertime. And then typically, not this time, but typically as we're wrapping up, we usually head to Europe because September is kind of the start of European winter and then we'll run through Europe. So she kind of chases winter. What's it, what's it like at the moment? Cause I mean, I'd spent a lot of time in the U S and as I was leaving was when all the shit started to go down. Like I watched the election campaign. Oh, nuts. I like, I watched it <laughs> and then I was, I, I was in Australia when Trump got elected, uh-huh. but I mean, I, I remember, and I've said it on here before, the day that Trump officially ran, I knew he was going to win. I, like, yeah, I, I, wish yeah. I, I wish I put money down on it. Yeah. I didn't. But the, the shitstorm that's followed, and it's like if you follow any political kind of stuff at all, which I know you do, yeah. it, it's a fucking bizarre time to be an American. It is. And it's a bizarre time to live in america and being an american traveling abroad and that's what i was gonna say like <laughs> like right now you're in the gold coast which is as fucking laid back as life gets. yeah you walk yeah, down totally. the beach you just you're cruising even in winter the weather's not that bad you yeah. can still surf yeah rules you know it's it's a good spot but there's no turmoil here there's no yeah like we've got a little bit of stuff but i feel like it's your average political ecosystem yeah. where you you need opposition yeah so you're always going to have that but i feel like what's going on in the u.s is some fucking next level shit it's bananas you know uh, and you know i want to start by saying i it doesn't matter because i'm here in australia i would say whatever i'm about to say over the course of the next period of time i would say the same thing in america um it's it's fucking nuts because i think i'm I'm a bit of an anomaly as well as probably full of shit from a standpoint of, I think the two party system's broken. I think it's government's fucked, broken. Yeah. I think it's all fucking broken and I'm a bit of a prepper and I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like best man for himself because mm. shit has just gone so fucking astray that there's gonna have to be some major upset to recalibrate everything. But with that said, it's nuts. You know, it's like everything is so politically correct back home and you can't hurt anybody's feelings. And if you say something like anybody that follows me on Instagram, yeah, I, I do it. Yeah. I, I'm raw, but, and I also do that of enjoyment because I, I appreciate debate. Yeah. I will debate somebody if that the sky is purple. If I feel that it's purple, I will fucking debate you to it. And I won't be rude and I won't be nasty about it, but I love a good debate and a good conversation. And, uh, and I think that there's a piece of that has gone so far away that it's so much about being oh loyal to your party or I'm a Republican or you're a snowflake or you're, yeah. you know, like it's like, no, fuck that. You know, like I get in conversations with people about the election in America. It's like, oh, well, you, you know, the, the thing I always get is like, oh, you hate Trump so much. I bet you're just heartbroken that Hillary wasn't elected. I said, no, she was fucked as well. Yeah. I said, the sad part is those are the only two monkeys that we had to choose from. Yeah. You know, like it's a broken system and it's it's nuts back home. It's absolutely nuts. And. I, it's it's like watching that movie. You know, it's an old movie. But it's called Idiocracy. Like it's mm. it is reliving idiocracy. It's like it's out of control. The shit that's happening and the shit that people are getting away with. And 
it's just absolutely nuts. I just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just stockpiling ammo and, <laughs> you know, and, you know, learn, you know, we're, we grow our own fruits and vegetables and we got a pond full of fish and I'm preparing for the, the apocalypse. Are you, yeah. So it's like, a, it, it, it's getting to the point where it has to be a concern for people, right? Because it's like, but then there's part of me that's like, man, like how bad can it really get? Like, are they going to let it get that bad? But then it's like, fuck, like, it, it's weird right now like and especially if you look at the way that like youtube's pulling people offline facebook's people pulling people offline like you you know alex jones obviously have you Who's heard of alex jones he's the sure. crazy dude that had that Infowars channel um where he said like he 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 started off saying some pretty good shit but he's like a conspiracy guy is he the one that said the that Columb- oh yeah yeah yeah, was, Sandy, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's him so youtube's pulled him not just demonetized like pulled him uh-huh uh, Facebook pulled him. iTunes pulled his podcast completely offline. So like he doesn't have a platform. He's been totally yeah. platform, which goes against the first amendment, yeah, exactly. which is freedom of speech. Yeah. So it's like, that's a, that's now a thing that you guys are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And then there's all this crazy shit of like, Oh, well, that's hate speech. And then there's uh you, you can't like all of the uh, gender pronouns and trying to like uh, compel speech as yeah. opposed to respect freedom of speech. Like it's getting into a, a super weird place and it it's worrying now, I guess, because there's policy being made around it. Yeah. Which is, it's like you can be a prepper or you can be a conspiracy theorist all you want, but it's like when you start making policies that pull people in effect away. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that is amendment sort of, you know, you stripping people of, of rights. It's like, is at the beginning of the end. Oh, it's bananas. I mean, and I'm going to sound like a dinosaur, but I personally think, and it's not that it's ever going to change anything or it's going to have any influence, but the the issue is, is the internet and social media. Mm. I mean, you look at politics wasn't any better in the forties, fifties, sixties. It was just as fucking bananas. I mean, and thought processes and dropping bombs on countries. I mean, nothing has changed, but you have this, influx of information and not only do you have information most of it's wrong and on Mm. top of it everybody is allowed to give their opinion on that information yeah there's no more tune in to channel 5 news at 6 p.m and that's where you get your two hours of information each day it's at your fingertips and on top of it you're not even being able to you're not only ingesting the information but everybody small or large has a platform to respond to that yeah and that i think is where it has gone to hell in a handbasket because through that as what's like as we're sitting here right now we were having a conversation about how fucking rock and roll and crazy it was in my lifestyle back in the 90s and i could be that way because the only people that could judge me were well, the people that the people actually were sitting that or on. the people are just yeah. sitting there watching that video you can only judge me to your four friends that were watching that video at that time yeah that was your platform fuck these guys look at these stupid americans acting like assholes yeah that was all you could do now pull out your phone or your guy. podcast or yeah, Fuck this exactly. Guy. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the biggest downfall is that you have people that have to censor themselves or, you know, a, you know, say a government legislator, you know, Oh, well, fuck, I really feel this way, but I have to go along with Trump or this person or that person or this podcast person, because if I don't, I'm going to be castrated and I'm no longer to have my prop platform, which means I'll no longer have my paycheck. Yeah. So everybody is now is being, basically censored because of 
the fallout. It's not about even what their opinion is anymore. It's just about what's the fallout. And unfortunately enough, fortunately, unfortunately, however you look at it, Trump is the one jerk off out there that will say whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everyone's afraid to do anything because it's like, what, do you go against them? Or do you back them? And then what's the fallout from that? It's, it's just completely bananas. Yeah. And, but I guess that there's like a duality to that too, though, because there it's, it's like we said, you got the light, you got the dark, like there's the dark of that, which is that every fucking kook that shouldn't be able to directly message you. Like mm-hmm. people can now directly message yeah. Carrie Hart oh, yeah. and say, you're a fucking loser. Yeah. And they do on a daily basis. Totally. I'm sure. Yep. And it's like, but at the same time, that's like the negative. And then at the same time, a kook like me can start a podcast that, and actually try and deliver people some good information yeah. or tell some story. And I don't need to be approved by the five o'clock news guy. Yeah. So it's like... It's a slippery slope. Yeah. That we're it in, is. We're in this really bizarre time, but I feel like... I mean, fuck. Do we just have negativity bias to where we like pay more attention to the negative stuff than the good stuff? Uh, unfortunately there is a lot of good shit out there there is but is that because like let's say you get let's say you post a video of your new bike right Mm -hmm. and you get 99 comments that are really good and then you get one piece of shit yeah whose comment do you reply to uh me personally what one hurts the really gets you the thing is for me is uh i I have a, I, I don't know, I, don't, I have a very thick skin mm. and I have conversations with this about my wife all the time because my wife does not. Um, I have very thick skin. It does not bother me. I, I will sit here and look you in the face and tell you, I don't give a fuck what people think about me. And that is the truth to my core. Yeah. I know I'm a good person. I have a good moral compass. I'm a good dad, good husband, whatever. That's all that's important for me. Everything else is just comedy hour. Mm. I, I post all this crazy shit to get the, You're the an antagonist. Pot. I am hundred yeah. percent. And I, when I sit there on the shitter in the morning and I'm drinking my coffee and I'm waiting for my kids to wake up, it gives me something to do in the morning. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully people get to think a little bit, but yeah, I, I just think it's, it's this rabbit hole of where, yeah, you're just getting so much information and it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to sound archaic right now, but I really think it needs to be censored a bit from a standpoint of not what the government can do to censor media, but people need to censor themselves. Like, yeah. dude, put your fucking phone down, put an alarm on it. Yeah. You get two hours a day on it. That's it. Like, that's all you get. You get two hours a day on your phone outside of emails and text messages and, and phone calls of business. You get two frivolous hours a day and then your phone should lock you out Yeah. and then go for a fucking walk or go on a bike ride or go spend time with your kids or go pick up trash on the freeway, go do something productive. I think that's the problem is these little minions will be in front of their phone or their computer for hours on end of the day. And then it's just the fucking machines off and running. I mean, I think, like I said, I sound archaic, but I think the internet and social media, more so social media, is what has ruined everything because yeah. everybody has a voice. I mean, I just watched the, I think it was the CEO of Twitter go on and say, yeah, it's, it's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, we kind of suck. You know, well, but it's, it's, the, it's, it's that, the machine. It's that unintended consequences of stuff, right? It's like uh, the industrial revolution. You're like, yeah. oh shit, look at all this, this stuff. great idea. Yeah, look oh, at all wait, this stuff gonna we use, can make. They're going to turn it into a bomb, but that's what it was, it was for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I watched the guy on Twitter. He's talking about it. He's like, yeah, we, we, put, uh, f- we put followers on there, not as a purpose. We put it on there just because, oh, we could figure out people might be interested in who's following them. Yeah. Now that's only people care about it with fucking social media as their followers. He's like, one piece that we had to add that we thought we would just do just because that is the one driving force behind this entire app. 
And you know that from owning a team. Like, oh, how many course. followers have you got? Exactly. Carry Hart, how many followers have you got? That's what I was getting back to earlier. Yeah. I know. I mean, honestly, it, <laughs> and here I am calling the kettle black. If I didn't have my social media platform, I probably wouldn't have most of my contracts in place right now because I wouldn't be able to leave and go chase my family around for two years at a time without social media. Yep. I know it's a necessity. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's an evil. And I know it's an evil that I'm profiting off of. But back to the moral compass of it all, I think that's the biggest problem. Mm. And I think it's the biggest problem is people, people forgot to go how to live their own lives. They live lives through social media and perception through social media. I mean, you've heard a million times. When was the last time someone posted, you know, when they got out of bed and they were fucking hung over and their hair's all over the place and their makeup smudged? Yeah. No, they put the perfect filter on. They, 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 they project their perfect life and it's not reality. It's funny that people, um, like even my brother, he's like gone off Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, it just fucking makes me bummed out. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have that. And I don't know why. But I, I could see why people uh, do get like that, especially girls. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a it's a very slippery slope for women. Oh, brutal. To, and that's, I think that's one thing that I always really respect with, Alicia is that she's very pro like be yourself yeah. respect you like, like love your own body love yep. other people because if if you're a girl like we get told or girls get told what beautiful is what beautiful should look like yeah. and you're right that it's always this makeup it's like this pressure that totally that women must feel to then go out into the world and look like the way that everyone is posting but we know that's not real life and i mean i'm sure you wake up you give her a kiss in the morning and her breast smells like shit exactly but it's like every other person you know what i mean exactly but it's like that's not the message that we get that's not the popular message no so it's like i can see where people would would have that but for me it's like i feel like i use social media just to kind of find me up like i look at when you're building a new bike and i'm like fuck that's rad like i don't get that thing where I go like, oh, I don't have an Indian. Yeah. I wish I had a dope Indian. Yeah. I got this fucking old CR250 that I blew up last weekend. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like people need to use it as a tool. It's like, what side of the coin do you want to be on? Do you want to be the guy that's like, damn, Kerry's new bike's sick. And then use that to like fire you up. Maybe you don't have the the raddest Indian and a, and a dope shop and you can't weld. But it's like fire yourself up. Yeah. If that's something you want to do, yeah. then go do a welding course. That's the truth, and, you know. So it's like, but I, that's but that's you just hit the nail on the head. If you were to, if people were to use it for what its intention was, yeah. Where when the guy that started Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and everything else, like it was supposed to be a positive thing. Well, I mean, I don't know about Facebook after watching that movie, but. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's supposed to be a positive thing. Like if you used it that way, like that's how I use it. Like I got into bike building through seeing bikes I saw on social media and, and my own interest. Like, oh, I like that stuff. I'm going to do it a little bit different. Yeah. If people saw something and then went away from their phone and went out and learned a new trade or went out and bought a dirt bike and learned how to ride or whatever it may be, take a singing class or learn how to play an instrument and leave your phone over here for a while and go experience life, then it was being used for what its purpose was. But it has become such a rabbit hole and, and you know, and well, I wouldn't say especially for women. I mean, same for guys in different you know respects, but yeah, for women, it's gotta be brutal. You're, you're held to this unrealistic bullshit and then they slap filters and then you see all this Kardashian bullshit happening and all the rest of it. It's, it's, I think what, I think to answer your question, how your brother is, I think 
80% of the world needs to go your brother's path. And just clip it. And yeah, the 20%. The yeah. Because there's just nothing positive that comes out of it. Yeah. And, and I, I, I can sit here and tell you right now, I enjoy social media and I try to use it for 95% positive. That's why I post a lot of stuff with my kids and writing and yeah. all the good stuff. I rarely ever go on there minging and whining about anything. But I will tell you that when it's no longer a necessity for my career, yeah, I will be off of it. I'm yeah. going to go back to a flip phone. I'll have a PO box. <laughs> you can either write me a letter, call me. I won't have, me yes, I won't have, I won't get texts. You either call me, send me a letter or show up on my doorstep. Yeah, dude, that's like one thing that when I, I don't know why this is, I spoke to this about a friend of mine, uh, uh, to a friend of mine, she's from the Midwest and she's like, oh, what do you like? What, what do you like more now that you live back home? And I was like, man, people just fucking show up at your doorstep. Yeah. And I've, I'm, I miss that in America. Yeah. And it, it seemed like it's a, maybe a more Australian thing that people just like rock up with a six pack of beers. And no, it used to be, an, it's an, where I live, it still happens. Yeah. I just, just I, unfortunately, I miss that over there. Yeah. It's gone, it's going away. No, over there now it's, it's people stay connected through group texts. Yeah. It's bananas. It's crazy to me. Like, yeah. I, I definitely, I just, I, I miss that, um, that element of, and I think it's maybe because we grew up in a small town as well. It's probably the same yeah. for you, but yeah, like people just show up to your house. It's everything feels like contrived now mm-hmm. to where it's like, Oh, meet at Nobu at nine and we'll have pre-drinks. And then it's, it, it seems like it almost like bullshit. everything's for the gram now. It is. Even just the, the simplest, like kind of basic interactions it is it drives me crazy and and maybe i'm the asshole for even saying this but i've been to 99 percent of my wife's shows over the last year and a half that she's been on tour and it's like dude put your fucking phone down and enjoy the fucking show yeah are you gonna actually sit back and watch that now look we've all been guilty snap a picture i posted one last night a little video before my wife's show started i get it but dude be in the fucking moment yeah enjoy that ticket that you just paid for and that $20 beer and watch the fucking show and park your phone. <laughs> yeah. It seems, it seems like, well, I but mean, that's everything. It's not yeah. what I'm saying. It's not just, I mean, that's, that well, is like, everything. That's sporting events. It's, it's everything in life. It's, but it's nuts. Like people on the beach right now, we're, we're staying on the beach in the Gold Coast and most people are walking on the beach with their phone fucking filming them rather than staring at this beautiful fucking ocean. It's like a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a form of currency now. Mm-hmm. Like the likes that you get and the followers that you have, there's a legitimate currency in that, man. Yeah. And it's, well, it's endorphins. People get a lot of likes on something and they feel good. And it's a false sense of reality and it's a false sense of I'm doing something good and they feel, you know, completed for the day, but it's bogus. It's not real. Mm. Yeah. We're definitely living in a, in a weird time with that, but you, I guess you have to keep into perspective that it's a new thing. Yeah. Like we're living through the like I feel like everything has a way of writing itself right mm-hmm. so it's like we like you posted a thing about religion the other day mm-hmm. so I personally think I'm not religious at all mm. I hate religion yeah. I I respect people's belief in something, in something 100% but I think organized the organized religion, religion yeah. side of it yep. but at the same time I think that when organized religion was at its height around well, basically when they were created that pushed us to where we are now yeah i think that we needed organized oh, it's cause religion. and effect for everything yeah. yeah but now it seems like the cycle's coming back around more than ever people are saying that they're not religious and then it's like that 
ship is starting to level out and we're come we're we're slow i mean i can see a time that's why i want aliens i want aliens in my life because can you imagine (laughs) when the aliens come it's like like, what the fuck are you guys doing down here you get a muslim dude and you get Uh a christian dude and then you're getting a jew and we're they're all like fuck everything all of this shit it's all bogus all of it what do we do now (laughs) so i I wish we could do that but i feel like there will be a, a point where it's like something will happen science will prove something to where you know because it's like right now you really you could say to someone like your religion is bullshit but that would at this point right now 2018 fucking august whatever and you can't actually say that Hmm. with a hundred percent fact no just like they can't with a hundred percent fact say to us that we're wrong but i think there will be a time when that can be proven to a hundred percent yeah but then you're gonna get retards and think but then the it'll words be, flat yeah so it's like it'll i feel like there's a hundred percent evidence of that but i feel like with all this like the social media it's like we're going through it's like the early religion stage and then it'll slowly start to kind of level out i hope so because if you think about it think about this timeline that'll kind of fuck you up the internet's only been around for less than 20 years yeah and social media's only been around for 11 dude 12? when i started filming we didn't have instagram yeah and we barely had facebook to where like i was telling companies that i'm like no no you got to start making videos for facebook this is going to be the next big thing i'm 30 yeah and i was ahead of this trend so it's like that's not a long time yeah and my point is think how fucked up things are in that short amount of time i hope it's at a swing because in another 20 years if it's on this same fucking course it's it's gonna be detrimental yeah it, it's funny i had uh i had a guy on the podcast he's a aboriginal elder right and so there's all this new evidence that's coming out that's saying that australian aboriginals are some of the oldest uh living humans on the planet uh-huh. and isn't it funny how you're growing your own vegetables you've got your own fish in your pond you're starting to go back to that oh yeah you've got a tribe yeah like totally you, you've got a little tribe oh for sure trying to be self uh sustainable yeah and it's like everything is going back to when we were these indigenous populations yeah and like david was saying like all the kind of rituals and all the stuff all the food all the ways that they lived as indigenous australians mm-hmm. we're all kind of moving to that we're all trying to get off I the hope grid. So. we're all trying to so i guess it's like are we in a race to where things get fucked up like big time and then we get back to that primal like uh, is that like this neck and neck race and it's like that's the that's the thing i i personally think things have gone so shit sideways in the 80s 90s and 2000s i mean think about that period of 30 years you know you had i mean at least like from an american standpoint you know you had the you know 20s you know industrial revolution and then you had like 50s 60s you know leave it to beaver working class handmade you know like for us american made detroit yeah and then you look at the you know really the 80s 90s and early 2000s and it's like fucking shit on everything yeah source everything out fucking pump steroids into your food and your animals and everything that you eat and sit on your couch and fucking eat mcdonald's and go on the fucking internet Mm. 
I mean, think about like that 30 year fucking period, yeah. how it's gone from like Woodstock to where we are right now, you know, or, you know, like I said, like the, the fifties and sixties of the working class man, like welding and using his hand to trade, you know, trade school has completely gone away and no one mm. has a trade anymore. That's, like it's, the, that's the thing that blew me away about living in America. Right. So like my brother left school at 15 and he got a builder's apprenticeship. He's a fucking carpenter by the time he's 19. Yeah. Right. I did not meet one carpenter no. in America one uh. that I live with. And I mean, that was like a frustrating thing for me too. And like, I mean, because I, I lived in Temecula, we had a Mexican pool guy, we had a Mexican dude that did our lawn. Yep. And it was like, everyone would shit on him. And then you take it to a Mexican dude to wash your car. Yep. But still everyone would shit on oh, Mexicans yep. fucking taking our jobs. They're the ones taking like, your food. Yeah, no one wants to do those jobs. Yeah. And, and it frustrated me to, cause I come from a place, like when I was a kid, I had a lawn mowing business. Yeah. My dad used to drive me around. I'd go and knock on people's doors and then I'd go, Hey, can I mow your lawn for 25 bucks? Mm-hmm. And then I'd ride my bike back home, tell dad the address, and then he'd drive me back and then I'd mow the lawn and then I'd keep knocking on doors until I found another lawn to mow. Yeah. And it's like, then we've got this uh, like trade schools massive here. Like everyone gets a trade. Like the That's dudes, that, the There's dudes nothing that do, in America. yeah, the dudes that do the best are like a friend of mine. He raced with us on the weekend, 20 something year old guy. Like, I don't even think he's 30 yet. Mm-hmm. The dude's got a fucking GMC Denali. He uh, just killing it. All the f- best bikes. He does balustrades and roofing mm-hmm. works his fucking ass off. Yeah. And it's like, I think that's another thing that that is really driving all this wackiness at the moment is that everyone goes to college and I think the drinking age really holds back America too to where it's like uh-huh. you kind of get like we started drinking at 18 here. Yeah. So, but then I agree. we were drinking at 16. 16, yeah. And then by the time I was 18, like when I moved to America, I was 21. I was fucking over it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't care. I was yeah. like, dude, I want to make some money. Yeah, exactly. I've been partying since I was 16. I'm mm-hmm. fucking ready to, I'm ready to rip. Totally. But then it's like, you guys go at, to college. Piss and away then, three of your four years. And yeah. no one's doing shit. And then you, you get an arts degree or whatever the fuck yeah, you get. Bullshit. And it's like, no, like that value of digging a hole and yep. building something with your hands, being yeah. like a fabricator or welder. Or even just, you know, getting in and being, you know, you want to be a fucking CEO of a music industry, start as a fucking apprentice and work your way up. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah everyone, every, that's the problem. You know, everybody wants age of entitlement. to put in uh, well, age of entitlement. They want to put in as little work as possible and get paid way too much. Mm. You know, I was the same way every, from the time I turned 10 years old, every single summer, my dad would make me go work for one of his asshole buddies. I did drywall. I did plumbing. I did landscape. I poured concrete. I did asphalt for my old man, which that's the business that he owns. I did pool decks for my uncle. I mean, asphalt in Vegas was brutal. Absolutely fucking brutal. And that's what my dad's been doing for 40 plus years. My uncle Joe owns a successful concrete company. And that's what I did every summer because my old man wanted to make sure that the last thing I was going to fucking do (laughs) when life was over or motocross didn't pan out was go swing a shovel doing asphalt. Yeah. And that's what I learned. But you have to take those licks. Yeah. Nowadays, there is no more of that, you know, like. I don't see kids having summertime jobs. I see kids going fucking off and going to Cabo. being lazy. Or yeah, or just or even kids that don't have money just going and fucking off and yeah. just doing nothing. Just sitting around, just doing nothing, being on a fucking computer on their smartphone. Yeah. Just how do you doing nothing? All right. How do you balance it out then to where you've got two kids, mm-hmm. you guys have a fuck ton of money, and 
like that's the definition of privilege which mm-hmm. your kids can't choose yeah they didn't ask to be born into that yep. how did then you balance that out well what we do that's like, got to be a challenge uh, it, it is a challenge and that was the that was the decision that me and my wife made that we weren't going to raise our kids in la or malibu around mm. that shit we were going to you know preferably move small town or to a farm you know we wanted to be on a working farm and that's what we do with our kids. I mean, even like right now with Willow. Willow, every day, my wife averages four shows a week, sometimes up to six. And she, we get to the venue. Well, first of all, we have her, her tutor that goes on, on the road with us, so she does her schoolwork. And then once we get to the venue, she has to go around and get all the staff, all, all the dancers and bands uh, post-show meal. So she has, she has a job, so she has to spend an hour oh, and a half go around getting everybody's food order. So she does that, and then when she's done with that, she'll come back. She'll do, she'll either do a piano class or lyric class or dance class, one of the three. So that consumes her time for another couple hours. Then we all sit down to have dinner together as a family, our little guy, Willow, and my wife. And then when my wife starts getting ready for the show, Willow will kind of hang out with me, we'll mess around. And then when the show starts, she actually goes underneath the stage and works the girls' quick change for the entire show. No shit. So she has a job, and she gets paid a buck a day, and she gets seven bucks a week. And she gets two dessert coupons each week so she can have dessert twice a week. And she has a job. So every day that we're traveling, she has a job. And on days off when we're not at the venue and she doesn't have a job, we go ride bicycles, we go surfing, we go to museums and we stay productive. But she has a job. And when we get home, she works in my wife's vineyard. She comes works down in my shop. Um, We're going to rescue some horses when we get home. She's going to learn how to muck stalls and take care of horses. She's going to learn how to run a farm. And that that's and once again, that doesn't say say we're it's going to be the end all be all. She's going to be a perfect child, mm. but she's going to know how to earn a dollar. Like even right now, we went shopping a couple of days ago, and she spent forty five dollars of her own money on a backpack that she wanted. I wasn't going to buy it for her. My wife was going to buy it for her. So she spent forty five dollars of her own money on this backpack. That's fucking right. Seven years old. Yeah, and so I guess that's like an active uh, conversation that you and Alicia had because that's a huge fear of ours I mean Alicia grew up middle class working you know divorced home lived in an apartment with her mom and I grew up you know lower middle class with my old man and we knew the value of a dollar and we both were on our career paths in our early teens I mean I knew what I was going to do at 12 13 and she knew what she was going to do at 14 15 like how do we not ruin our children due to money and entitlement and fame you know and that's that's a slippery slope, but you know, we try to keep our kids around all different kinds of ethnic groups, you know, black, white, everything in between with people that are on her tour and we give her responsibilities and jobs to do. And we don't, you know, people may think we live in some big sprawling mansion. We live in a little country house, a little three bedroom country house and just try to kind of keep everything simple. And when we are on the road and things get complicated and we're staying in a suite somewhere and there's lots of people running around working for my wife, we try to explain to her that, look, this is work. Mm. You know, even though mommy's being pink right now or if you know, Papa's at an event and everyone's wanting his autograph, this is work. This isn't our life. This is our job. Mm. And when we get done doing our job, we go back to being mama and papa and we go back to being Carrie and Alicia. So don't confuse job for who you are. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be a, uh, a weird thing for a kid but then in a sense when it's all you know as a kid then it just becomes normal and it's like you see that like i just had mark hunt on the podcast Mm -hmm. you know the fighter yeah and he was a victim of a very rough abusive uh household in new zealand and like he said he's like man it wasn't until i was a fucking adult that i even knew 
that that wasn't normal. Yeah. So it's like kids are super malleable. Oh in, yeah. In that respect, right? Totally. Yeah, and that's why we're just trying to do the best that we can now because shit dude in another three four years when she's 10 12 13 it's out of our hands you know we we will have done we will have given her the tools and she's in a shape the rest of her life at that point you know so we're just trying to give her all the best tools to where she can go out and make the best decisions you know and and fuck, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe I mean, my wife always laughs. Like, maybe we're, maybe we're wrecking hey, maybe them. Maybe we're ruining them. Man. Yeah, I know. Maybe we're ruining them. Who fucking knows? But you know what? Uh, At least they're going to try to know the value of a dollar. And, you know, they have good manners and they look people in the eye when they're talking to them and they have a good moral compass. When you and Alicia first got together, did you like get to date in the traditional sense of the word? Or like, because you were probably a bit more famous than her at this point, And it's like, did you just have like ever have like what you would feel like would be a normal relationship? I mean, normal for us definitely yeah, okay. because you know what? It, for me personally, it was it was the most normal relationship I've ever been in because she was at a similar level. Yeah, well, she 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 could understand that I had to go on tour. I could understand mm. that she had to go on tour. You know, like I've 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 had very damaged relationships in my life because I was who I was and I would date cocktail waitresses or whatever in Las Vegas and <laughs> Vegas it didn't song. go well. Yeah. yeah. You know, but uh I would say we did. I mean, we you know, when we would date, we would I would fly in and see her in New York if she was there for a few days, or I would mm. jump on tour, or she would come on Boom Boom Tour for a couple of days, or come to X Games. And I would say we did in a pretty normal sense of the word and and I think it was a good thing and we didn't rush in anything. I mean, like I said, we've been together 17, mm-hmm. 17 years, you know, I mean, we only, we've only been, not only, but we've been married 10. So we dated for seven years, yeah. you know, we, we took our time through the whole thing. And, uh, I would say in the, in the traditional sense, yeah, we had a pretty normal dating relationship. It's yeah. just, it wasn't Applebee's. It was, you know, <laughs> chasing her on tour or her coming on my tour for a little bit. Yeah. Was it weird to like watch what happened, I guess, from like side stage of her because when did you meet like was it would it be in the destiny's child film clip no sure uh, no we, we I mean, met, i'm definitely not up with the tabloid yeah, yeah, no, side of stuff, oh, just yeah. totally fine. we met right when her big break her her biggest first breakout album which had that song get the party started oh uh, okay that we met but right before that album came out so we met like weeks before she really exploded. No shit. But there was, even though like with music, there is a popularity standpoint, but then there's a long building process to yeah. making a living at it. So yeah, that's when we got together and she had a little apartment in Venice beach and I had a pretty legit pad in Vegas. And I remember <laughs> the first time she came to see me in Vegas, and, you know, she's from Philly, you yeah. know, she's Philly's a pretty rough town if you don't know any better, but uh, yeah. it was funny like, she tells a story once in a while. You know, she 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 flew into Vegas to come hang out with me for a couple of days. I was I was home. I happened to be home for a few days, so she came out, and I picked her up. And you know, I had a big old left lifted F three fifty. You know, brand new bitch and pickup truck. Was fuck. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> just nine oh nine as they come. And uh, you know, I pick her up, and she she's like, "Whose car is this?" I'm like, and I'm looking. I'm like, "It's it's mine." Uh, you you kidding? Because it's funny because keep in mind where she was from. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, this, this is mine." She's like, "Oh, oh okay." And then we get to my house, you know, we drive out and get to my house and, you know, I had a pretty nice house at the time. And she's like, whose house is this? Is this your parents' house? I'm like, no, this is my house. <laughs> and it was funny. And like, she, you know, she retells that story. She's like, I'd never met anyone that owned a, their own car before you, yeah, let alone, or yeah. like in a, in a, in a dating relationship, let alone, 
own their own house and a successful career and their own money. And it was like, yeah, you know, but then, but then like I said, as we grew up together, yeah, obviously it shifted. But I think one of the great shifts in that, and look, I'm, I'm not saying had this not happened, I would have turned into a pile of shit, but through like, you know, getting into 03, 04, 05, where, you know, I'm still kind of the bee's knees in my world. But then I go to a red carpet for like, you know, the Grammys. It was a like humbling. And almost, people are like, like, who the fuck? Oh, is that hey, guy? Uh, yeah. tattooed guy. Can we just get a solo picture of her? Or, <laughs> hey, Corey, Corey. And it's like, oh, no, it's Carrie. You know, it's like it, it definitely it's, it's a it's a ego check. Yeah, you know, it's I like I could be a big fish in a little pond of motocross. But, dude, I'm just the tattooed arm candy at the Grammys or, you know, at, at any of the big, you know, VMAs. Dude, that's and a, that was that's rad. A, that would have been a trip. It was. It was rad. Like it was super humbling. And. You know, I, I have this term that my buddy Big B gave me. It's like, stay in your lane. You know, like I know what my lane, my lane is. I don't take advantage of my lane, um, appreciative of my lane, and I don't try to step into someone else's lane, you know? And it's it was a very cool experience, I would say, through my life, being able to, and be able to be proud of my partner yeah. and her accomplishments and be supportive. I mean, even now, you know, like I love being on tour, A, because of my, I get to spend amazing amounts of time with my two kids, but I get to support my wife who is a fucking rock star who kicks ass. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty fucking rock and roll in my book, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's definitely crazy to, it would have been crazy to just like watch something explode. And like you, you would have seen X games and all that, like that exploded in that way. But, yeah. But we're talking like everybody in the world knowing who oh, you're talking mainstream yeah, like, media pop yeah and we pop culture yeah we've always been fringe culture yeah exactly and it's like i guess just to see i didn't really think about that perspective of like yeah ken roxon is the, never gonna be on the cover of exactly Vogue. yeah <laughs> it's not gonna happen yeah so to see that like coming from this world and i guess to experience the level of fame that you like because to me growing up like the idea of meeting Kerry hart as a kid to me would have been like fucking Balls, just yeah. this crazy thing but then it's like then there's this whole different level yeah and to sort of be there and because everyone does have their story and i guess it's like we said at the start of the podcast is like when you when you're kind of in it you don't really i guess like realize that yeah. there's a backstory it's like the carry heart that's sitting in front of me right now not a lot of people identify with the Kerry Hart that was working that shit job with his uncle. Like everyone yeah. has that story. Oh, exactly. And for you to be able to see the backstory and then to like see today, like you've got the full scope yeah. of what went down. And it's a once in a lifetime kind of thing to, yeah. to really see. Yeah. Everyone's sitting here listening to me. They think it's, you know, all rocks our life. And literally they know I had kid shit on my hand two hours ago and I'm in a hotel room and changing my kids diapers while my wife's sleeping <laughs> you know what's both sides <laughs> what's uh what's little Jamo like is he gonna be a terror he's fucking loose a kid is loose I he's, just I need you to have a kid that's out of fucking control he is fucking loose that's good well, for one he's huge I mean he's he's 20 months old now so you know just under two years old he's on that small program like and you. he yeah and he wears three-year-old clothes he's a fucking huge kid and he's just hellfire. Loves dirt bikes. Loves anything with a motor in it. Just every time my helmet's laying around, it's on his head, or he's screaming his fucking head off to put it back on. He's gonna be a loose kid. So you'll be taking him to Loretta Loretta Lynn's I at some hope point. Not. I sure hope not, dude. It's it's heavy. Like where even, I don't want to do that, dude. My girlfriend, like we we went up to Cairns, and one of my friends has a a farm. And he's got like quads and his kids got eighties. He's got a track in his backyard. Like we always go ride there. And then my chick's like, Oh, 
oh, I want to ride. So I was like, okay, cool. Get on this little quad and you can ride around. Yeah. And then, so she did really good. And then she's like, oh, can I ride the 50? And I was like, all right, go ride the 50. And then she's like, can I ride your bike? I'm like, fuck <laughs> no. Big, big step. Fuck no. <laughs> I don't, and, and it's not even like she couldn't do it. She probably could do it. But I've had the broken ankles. Oh, I've yeah. had the broken fucking yeah. arms. I've had the concussions. Yeah. I've had all that shit. And I don't want anybody that I love yeah, to, go to feel it. that shit. Yeah. And I mean, I'm worried that my kids one day, when I have kids, will want to do that and i'm like dude just let's go let's go play golf and stuff yeah you know i'm i'm in that same a thought you know i i, I got my you've daughter seen some shit yeah exactly i mean i've broken friends I'm, die too I'm, yeah my my brother got killed racing motocross you know mm. and i've broken high 80s dude, bones. i forgot about that yeah yeah my brother got killed racing That's fucking heavy and you know with my kids like i want them to ride i want them to be exposed to the culture of it i'm going to take them to super crosses but am i going to be pushing my kid to go do local races and eventually go down my my path absolutely not mm-hmm. i'd much rather see him like my daughter racing bmx or get him golf clubs or go fucking surfing or go to fucking college you know go to go to a fucking trade school you yeah. know go be a fucking fabricator you know like i there I, I want my kids to do anything on the planet they want to do i'm just not gonna push them down the yeah, path yeah. of no motocross and no singing <laughs> those are those are the two oh, I'm not singing. Gonna, it's gnarly it's a vicious yeah, fucking I industry I don't, know if, I don't know if i could get vicious. down with that shit because yeah. it's like it's so subjective man like you're putting yourself out there to be like i mean i've fucking done it new lord song comes on i'm a lord fan i'm like yeah. it's fucking shit yeah it's like what you, oh yeah hit the brakes man like yeah. is this shit it's or brutal. do you just not like it right now yeah and you opening yourself up to like this crazy judgment every Fuck, single yeah. day from oh, every it's brutal and i mean i'm sure even with how successful alicia is like every time an album comes out it's like oh it's, it's that same process all dude it's every fucking night like on twitter seeing people's comments from the show that night or finding you know digging into the local newspaper seeing what the reviews on the show was the night before it's brutal yeah, it's hard to. She's fucking twenty years in, still, still, <laughs> still, still, still checking the line, seeing what's happening. Um, when did you get into Muay Thai? I actually got into it. Um, I got hurt on Tony's tour, on Tony Hawk's tour in two thousand and three, uh, and two thousand and four. I my buddy Kit Cope, who's a MMA fighter, and uh, I, he got me into it as just a way because I was I was so fucking thrashed that. I couldn't do much. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really ride. I couldn't do like hard impact sports. Yeah. So me and him just started doing pad work and it was fucking awesome. And and I just fell in love with it. And I've been not consistently, but for the most part, I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. And And I absolutely love it. Do you do sparring and shit as well? Yeah. yeah. I was just with, uh, Andre down in, uh, Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, they call him the Andre the Giant. He's yeah, a yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. big monster. He was kicking the shit out of me a couple weeks ago. Dude. And, uh, shit. my, in the past, my buddy uh, Jamie Tony, he he's a like a Bellator fighter back in America. Mm. He came on the entire last tour with us, and we would spar and beat the fuck out of each other every day. So that's awesome. on your rider. I love to have it. like a Muay Thai partner if I can. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. if not, um, you know, like like I'm doing right now. Like I would have loved to go on to Par's gym, uh, but I just try we'll to pop in. Yeah, time. I just try to kind of pop in and. I'm not trying to be a tough guy. I'm just trying to get a workout and mm. get punched a little bit. And it's, you know, you know, it is, it's good for the soul. Dude, I was just in Thailand and I went to Tiger. Have you, oh, have you been dude, there? I follow him. That, so Kit was the first American to go 
over and spend time with Tiger and was the first American to win over there. No That's shit. That's the dude that got me into it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Master Toddy was one of the main guys there. And anyways, dude, go to fucking Thailand I, I'm and going go to. to Tiger Muay Thai. I've already told my wife, there's two things I'm going to do when the kids are a little bit older, I'm going to go spend a month at Tiger and I'm going to go to Peru and do ayahuasca. Oh, okay. Those are the two, those are the two things I'm going to do before I'm too old. Yeah. What? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's funny. So I just had a guy, uh, Stuart Cooper on the podcast uh-huh. and he had a Valium addiction. So he's a filmmaker in jujitsu. Uh-huh. And, uh, so he was like, it was cool because he was kind of like the, not the me or of jujitsu, but we just followed a very similar parallel young dudes started right about the same time. Mm-hmm. And our ticket to stay in the sport that we loved was to film as opposed to compete yeah so it was this really cool parallel and i said to him i was like dude did you get like a lot of fatigue from the flying and uh because have you heard of like the altitude sickness that can give you like the chronic fatigue yeah totally. so anyway he got that right Mm -hmm. and he was in all these different time zones going to all these different fights so he started taking valium on planes and then when he landed so that he could go to sleep yep and uh got hooked yeah anyway so he he was taking like one of these for two years and then he come to Melbourne and he knew because he was just buying the diazepam from you can fucking buy whatever you want. Thailand is crazy, crazy. Just like over the counter yeah. shit. Um, so he's like, oh, I better not take him into Melbourne because I'll like I don't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he gets off the plane and then has like these lightning flash headaches, fucking extreme anxiety, can't sleep. Like then he starts Googling like withdrawal symptoms from Valium. He didn't mm. even know that oh, you yeah. could get hooked on that shit. Oh, fuck yeah. Anyway, he fucking goes back to the UK, detoxes from Valium, ends up in like this crazy depression, goes to Spain to do ayahuasca. Uh-huh. One fucking, he did two nights in a row. Yep. Cured. Yeah. Completely cured oh, yeah. his depression. So it's There's like- There's some gnarly shit with that stuff. Dude. I mean, you, from what I hear, you you face some fucking demons through the process well, of that's, it. That's what I was going to say. that's like, why you come out. Yeah. What What's your reason for wanting to do it? Because I've, I want to do it and I will do it at some point, mm-hmm. but I feel like I've gone through a lot of shit with myself, like the self audit process yeah. over the years, especially- living in America by yourself as a young person Mm -hmm. like I went through a lot of shit because I gave up my family and I gave up everything and I was always broken always on that hustle then I was doing the tour so I feel like I went through this like really brutal couple of years of like really seeing all my flaws and shit like that to where now I'm like I feel pretty good so I'm like I feel like if I go to do ayahuasca, it would be <laughs> set you back. <laughs> well, like, but I just don't, I feel like they, like people say that the medicine gives you what you need, but yeah. at the moment I don't feel like I need anything. Like I'm pretty happy and content. I want to keep kind of going on the path I'm on, mm-hmm. but it's like, what's your reasoning for wanting to do it? Um, I'm sure there'd be stuff with like your brother and things like that. You know what? I think, yeah, I think there's like stuff with my brother, you know, my family, um, I mean, really, the thing is for me is like, I, 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 <laughs> I hope this is going to freak people out, but I, I'm, I, I enjoy going and doing mushrooms. Yeah. I enjoy, like, I don't smoke pot or I don't do any kind of like gnarly, gnarly chemical drugs, but I enjoy expanding my mind. I, I've done DMT. Oh, I've, no shit. Yeah. Like, I, I like just, I, I feel like sometimes when I'm the most out of control, I'm the most alive. Yeah. And I, and I think maybe that comes from my life and my very intense, extreme lifestyle 
and to get those certain shocks to my system, I think it's healthy. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that I, I would chase that down cocaine or booze, but like I but said, they're I mean, not the same. Thing. No, exactly. Like but that, but that's why I want to I want to yeah. make a clear yeah. you know line between the two. Like there's a I, different thing between like like I was saying this to like I got a friend that I got a friend that likes doing coke, mm-hmm. and he likes doing coke. He's not a cokehead by yeah. any means. Yeah, but but he likes um, doing it because he's in control, and it gives him that feeling of like partying, and it's it's like an accelerant, it's like yeah. pouring fuel on a fire, totally. really. Yeah, but you're still you, you're still making all this. I mean, fuck, you probably make some worse decisions. But somewhat, yeah. But they're decisions that are at least coming from like down and you've got some yeah. control. But when you do like mushrooms or even like fucking go deep on edibles yeah. and you're not in control anymore. Oh, like it's intense. But there's certain, like I actually enjoy that feeling of then just letting go and going, okay, show me what I need to see. Take me where I need to go. And I mean, I've even spoke about on the podcast, like I had an edible experience on a plane once. Oh, that's no fun. And I was just like, I was fucking trapped yeah. and I felt uh, I would remember sitting on the plane and just being like alright you're gonna come out of this yeah. you're gonna be Talk fine yourself down this yeah. is like it's like it was like a marathon like yep. you know when you finish like some kind of brutal activity mm-hmm. and then you feel better for it yeah because you're like I pushed through yeah that's what this gives me but I feel like so you're and enjoying I think the same thing and I think that's it too is because I have to be in such I think I've just been in such control so to say of my yeah. life yeah it is kind of nice just to fucking roll the dice and see what happens, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it's also a very positive way, you know, it's like you kind of face some of your demons, you know, and, and like I said earlier, you know, I don't have a problem talking about it. I don't have intense depressions, but I have bouts of it and anxiety. And I know like when I eat mushrooms, I'll have the fucking, like I just ate mushrooms a couple of weeks ago and I had the time of my life with a couple of buddies that I really trust and we laughed our faces off and for the next couple of weeks the the, the scientific residuals due to mushrooms chills out anxieties chills out stress mm-hmm. chills out depression and I even have a friend of mine that uh, that uh, which I'm going to do when my children are much older but a buddy of mine did a two week microdose on mushrooms yeah, okay. you know it's just these little capsules and it's all measured out and he did it with a doctor but he microdosed for two weeks and he told me about like you know what what he got out of that from mental and creative standpoint. You know, he's a he's a bike builder and a bike designer, and the, his you know his his creative flow was going. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good you know like and that's actually <clears throat> one thing that kind of trips me out about not to beat up on Australia, but like oh like, don't even get me fucking started. Like dude, like this the fact it's that so bad. you can't get like CBD oil over oh. here and like the 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 positive effects of like I think there's. I think there's going to be a lot of really positive things over the next generation of ayahuasca and, and mushrooms. And I mean, you're already seeing in America with THC and all that stuff of like all these natural holistic remedies for things. Yeah. And, and I, I, I like that aspect of it. I mean, yeah. Would it be easy to pop a Xanax every morning and go along my happy way and not be depressed at all? Sure. But do I want to be medicated? Exactly. Do I want to be medicated? Do I want to deal with the effects of coming off that shit? I don't, I don't even take Advil. I don't even take ibuprofen. I'm the same, man. Yeah. I either take DMT or tea or any sort of holistic remedy, what vitamins your, and training. What was your experience with DMT? I haven't gone down that road yet. It was, uh, it's, it's really my experience. With, did, you, only, did you do like the full breakthrough? Like, oh yeah. You were fucking gone. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I know some people that I spoke to, they're like, oh, I was like this. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't think you really did it then, man. You know what I mean? I did because the full breakthrough where it felt like there was an elephant sitting on your shoulders and your vision is completely fucking bonkers. And 
you just get this intense kind of pressure on your system on your body and the, the thing that was nice about it is it's it only works for about 15 minutes yeah and, you and know all, you're coming back and all it does is it's just your body naturally has it in you and you know all the yep. the, the background on it so it just kind of takes you to a place where you know i i have a couple of friends that have done it who have seen some pretty dark shit and i think it kind of touches on the whole ayahuasca thing like you mm. get out of it really what you want what, what you your, need yeah what you need or what you're intended to um and for me it was just a really pretty bitchin visual um stress relieving kind of like happy spot as weird as that might sound and it's and it, it lasts it's a really short period of time but the, did you come away with it learning something i did, did yeah, yeah like just just like i when i did it i kind of came away with almost like having a third lung like oh okay like i can take a few deep breaths okay. and i can like my experience with it is it, it as it went away my stress kind of went away with it and mm. my anxiety kind of went away with it and i just kind of walked away but the the you know you know, seeing the sun as opposed to the clouds, you know, just, you know, little subtleties like that. It wasn't like really, really intense, but that's also why I want to go do the ayahuasca yeah. path. Cause I, I kind of want a really intense experience. Yeah. I'm, and maybe I don't, you know, but as I but sit I here now, that, I want to, <laughs> and, and you know, well, like even Stuart Cooper said that, um, so he was in this crazy depression, right? And then he said that all he got, like there were people in the room that were like having fucking horrific experiences yeah. and they were throwing up and yep. shitting at the same time. Like really, uh, it's intense. really intense experiences but then even like I've spoken to people that have done like the purging and the shitting and they've even said like that felt like all of my baggage like yeah. they were just stoked yeah. as they were throwing up yeah, totally. so like it almost seems like I mean you've seen people tripping on acid yeah. and you're like whoa like, yeah. it's fucking freaks you out but then totally. they come good and they're like oh my god I yeah. feel so much better now yeah. so it's like uh, we have this perception in sobriety of or even when Always someone's drunk and yeah. you're like you're like fuck I'm just not on his level yeah but when you're on their level you're like you're having the time yeah, of your you're life like fucking rules <laughs> but Stuart said that he had the this crazy overwhelming experience of love like mm -hmm. he felt love for his family he felt love for his friends and because he was in like a severe depression the it's like ayahuasca showed him what he needed to see yeah. like he needed to feel that intense pleasure and happiness and love because that was sucked out of his life mm -hmm. because of this valium yeah totally so it's like it's it's fucking it's crazy and man it, honestly like i don't think you appreciate the impact that people like you uh it makes when people like you talk about this stuff oh it's great to hear because yeah. even like man like i know my mom will listen to this she doesn't listen to all of them but uh. she like with her she's in that very old school mentality and and i was that guy when i moved to america i i had never done a drug in my life yeah i went through all my friends with stoners they were fucking all on ecstasy every weekend like and i said no to all of it yeah. because i thought that was the moral like I had that old yeah. school, that's the values that were ingrained. Yeah. But then you start to learn and you open your mind up to stuff. And it's like, you can use things as a tool. You can abuse, like we all yeah. know a bad drunk. Oh yeah. We all know a guy that fights when he drinks. Yep. We all know a chick that fucking cries every time she yep. drinks. Like p these things are tools that you have to be responsible as a person. Oh, exactly. And there's so much science out there and even like you said the scientific stuff with mushrooms yeah. like the psilocybin molecule binds to your serotonin receptors mm -hmm. like identically like yeah. they were made to do it yeah and it's like there's it's just such a crazy time 
of information and you should definitely do the microdosing stuff because oh, I've to. done I've done like didn't do it all the way because it just I had to go away and like it just didn't kind of work yeah, out to where work. I could do it but like the the definitely the doses that I did take like I remember driving down the Gold Coast from here one day and like it was it wasn't like a, a proper mushroom experience yeah. but like everything looked a little bit sharper yeah exactly and i could see like i appreciated like the way the clouds looked and it sounds like mm-hmm. real woo woo <laughs> but it's the truth but i'm like yeah. driving and i'm like man it's fucking crazy like look at these clouds and like i just felt good music felt good and yeah then i got to sounds work like smell things smell a little better yeah. yeah and i think that it's good to put yourself in those head spaces because you take that's the thing with these um it's the same with alcohol like you ever got fucked up on tequila you take something out of that shit oh, yeah you don't want to drink tequila again you take <laughs> yeah, exactly. that smell of tequila yeah and you fucking throw that bottle as far away from yourself yeah. as you can but it's like i think one of the curses of humanity is you're given one perspective yeah and if you there's there's a few things in life that i think can open up your perspective and there's that's travel and then hallucinogens or or uh, substances that change your perspective because mm-hmm. you you'd know people they're one issue voters that have never left oh yeah their fucking town their hometown, yeah. and it's like that's they're locked into that perspe- perspective yeah and it's a fucking curse man oh 100 percent. yeah i mean some of the the biggest you know life lessons i've taken away have been through where motocross has taken me you know i remember one of my first like big, big kind of intense trips for me was uh, back when we were filming Cressy, went to Brazil. You know, I was 23 years old, I guess it was 20. Yeah, 23 years old. And we did two weeks in Brazil filming for Cressy. And, you know, we were five American dudes, you know, money in our pocket and nice motorcycles. And dude, we went through the barrios of Rio and Sao Paulo and all along the Amazon River. And it's like I I've I saw a group of uh, a whole country of people that lived well below the poverty line that were happy and had dirt floors and didn't have indoor plumbing but it was a very intense experience for me and it was like when i came home from that tour i was like wow like i'm going to appreciate everything i have a little Did bit that, fucking that more. stayed with you for a while oh, for a long time yeah i mean even after that like I, i've gone back to brazil since then and i actually used to go do a lot of writing in like costa rica yeah puerto rico and you know, it's, it's a different world. I mean, you deal with third world countries. It's a different, you know, it's a different, different world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Like I remember we went, I actually went with RC to Costa Rica mm-hmm. and I, I know I was supposed to go on that trip. Were you supposed to? Was. Fuck, you should have come on that trip, dude. We, we run up a fucking tab, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Dude, between like Ricky and JH, uh-huh. like we got fucking blind at hard rock and that dude ricky's guilty of that in a way like he he's not he wasn't eat, like i was eating cow tongue and testicles and oh, all this dude. like super weird shit uh-huh. and he was like let's go to fuck let's find a hooters let's yeah find exactly a hard rock. i want and some I'm daytona like, wings yeah i'm like bro dude, <laughs> dude. where it goes to rico oh but for sure fuck man we we had some laughs dude oh, J, yeah. him and jh together oh they rule that that's two of maybe the funniest people uh-huh. that you could ever be around. And I'm a guy that I love to talk, mm-hmm. but when I'm around those two, I just fucking kick back, I crack a couple oh, a beers, circus. and you just enjoy the show. That was the 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 me and Ricky's history with the race team. I mean, the racing was secondary. The best part was just meeting him hanging out as much as we we did. You know, like getting able to spend that much time together. God, we had some fucking good times. He's one of the like I've met some dudes where I was like through filming like i've pretty much met everyone yeah and i've filmed with everyone i've hung out with everyone there were some guys that i left going fuck 
you suck. <laughs> right. And then automatically I've got like the pictures on my wall and I'm like visualizing my room as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I've got like a Garth Milan photo uh-huh. of said writer. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm you just like, tear it down. <laughs> just exactly. scrunching it up. Yep. Ricky is the guy that exceeds your expectations. Like yeah. as much as I worship that motherfucker when I was a kid, mm-hmm. no picture on my wall could have done that dude justice oh, yeah. for just how cool he is. Oh, totally. No, he is all time. And that's, you know, get back to the conversation earlier today. You know, it's like, that's the unfortunate part about motocross nowadays. Like in the Strips last, that away. yeah, it just, it sucks all that away. I mean, I, I'm only learning recently. Like I said, I, I've, I've known Villapoto for a long time, but it's only Villapoto at the, at the racetrack. I yeah. never knew Villapoto, you know, that's beer bonging and, you know, having a good time. Dude, talk about like the whole cyclical thing of like shit coming back and like riding the wrongs. We're back on two strokes and we're back racing dirt track. Mm-hmm. No shit. Does that shit excite you or what? Fuck yeah. I, I, I've, I stand by it and it's archaic, but I think they need to go. You want to fix motocross? Go back to two strokes and spec stock bikes. Yeah. You can only do suspension and pipe and silencer. That's going to recalibrate everything. And same thing with all of us. Like you see everybody doing like this full swing back, like coming back to two strokes, coming back to flat track, cool again. Like it's, everyone's trying to just go back to what it used to be. Yeah, for sure. Dude, if you could, like I think, and you could probably speak to this better than anybody that I've spoken to in the past. If, if Feld could do one thing to fix the industry, one thing, keep teams around, would be let teams sell merch. I think there's a laundry list of things Feld could do. They will ne- they never will do it. But uh, I think merch is a piece of it. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of pieces to it. Um, I don't think there's one end-all, be-all because there's a slippery slope with that. Like, I- I've been in that business before merch. Yeah. And, you know, and I've even talked with uh, Koi from JGR about it. And it's like, okay, you roll the dice, you get a truck, a trailer, a couple hundred grand with a product printed in the back of your truck, driver, fuel, hotels, and you go out after the Supercross series. And it's like the bands, like, got the most bitchin' t-shirt on the planet and we're gonna fucking rule it. And you show up and you sell five t-shirts. Dude, I don't know though, man. Because like, with the bands, like, well, I mean, you'd know with Alicia's shit, but I I did a documentary with a Warp Tour band, right? They were making fucking bang. Truth. Like, keeping them afloat was merch. And, and I know that if you could do, especially like you had Hart and Huntington, you had uh, fucking the Merrill brothers that were like, could have pumped out the best merch. Oh, yeah. Like you, well, I mean, you guys did have good merch anyway, yeah. but it's like to, to be able to sell that, like that would be enough to, I th- I think to pay you're right. for a lot of people, like to at least help keep the doors open. I definitely think you're right. Um, I mean, if we want to go down this rabbit hole, I just think it, I think and I'm not bitter or hey, salty about this. I'm not out to this. save the sport either. Yeah, yeah no, way, no. I'm not bitter nor salty. I'm just speaking from my experience. Uh, it's a broken model over there. Yeah. And well, it's a monopoly. Yeah. And it'll keep, it'll keep tinkering along and it will keep doing its thing, but it's never going to be great. Well, I think that the problem is right. Is that Supercross? I don't think the average person realizes that Feld is a behemoth. Oh yeah. They're a and, monster. And Supercross is a drop in their bucket. And I think that anytime you're the afterthought in somebody's business model, like you're not going to get the best shit. Well, but the other thing is too, is in, in Feld's portfolio, 
the only thing that they don't own 100% of, meaning like you look at Monster Truck, they own all the trucks, all the drivers, everything. Yeah. The only thing they don't own 100% of is Supercross. No shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Disney on, ice Disney on Ice and all, all, all that theatrical crap and Monster Trucks. They own every truck out there. They own the licensing. They own everything. They pay all the drivers to show up and drive. That's why they destroy the trucks every race. The one thing that they don't own 100% of is Supercross. Hmm. You know, and they don't understand like paying teams and paying better purse like it's it's a broken model it's a completely i've i've had conversations with those guys till i'm blue in the face i mean they've sent limos for me when i was in chicago with my wife to come to the corporate office and paraded me around the corporate office and we sat in a room together and i gave them all my input it was just all uh, it was yep i mean as far as i'm concerned because they didn't take a single shred of any of it i mean even something as so simple as how to make the tv package better i mean it was it was a smoke show as far as i was concerned yeah, it's fuck. It's a shame, man. Because I mean, for us, like that's our thing, right? Like that's the thing that we're all super into. Like at your core, you're a racer. Yeah. And I think that it's just like once it's in you, like it it really just doesn't go away, does it? It doesn't, and it shouldn't have to, you know. And unfortunately, oh no, it's unfortunately over over the years, whether it's been Clear Channel or you know AMA, like they just seem to suck the fucking life out of it. You know, like they can't just, uh, you know, greed is a hell of a thing, you know? Yeah. And it's like, like I've always made the argument with them. And once again, this isn't the end all be all, but look at it from a very simplistic standpoint to make it a little bit easier on the teams. You're trying to tell me you can't bump up the ticket price by two bucks per seat. Yeah. Two dollars. You're trying to tell me that family isn't going to spend $42 for a seat. They only spend 40 bucks for a seat and have that $2 per seat go back to the purse. So that way mm. I don't have to pay Ken Roxon 2 million a year. I can pay him a million five and he know he'll have a nice big, you know, he, he know he'll, I had to pay Ken Roxon a hundred thousand dollars for every super cross win. Not felt mm. I did. If I could have wiped that away and not have that overhead costs or not have to pay that insurance policy to guarantee that hundred K and that hundred K came from the promoter. It would have made life a lot easier on my program as mm. well as KTM, Kawasaki, Honda, Husky, all the rest of them. We're all paying the same insurance policies. We're all paying the same bonuses. I mean, it's just little things like that, but it's, it's a, yeah. like I said, I don't mean to sound salty about it, but unfortunately well, I mean, it's, it's a broken model. But it's good to hear it from a guy like you. Like there's not a lot of times where someone that's been there, seen it all, put his own money on the line, had won championships. Like it's not like, it's not like you're a guy that's coming in and going like, whoa, whoa, we fucking had a crack and it's like, oh, he's salty. They never won anything. Well, that's what, like you did win everything. Yeah, Yeah, we did it. You won, you won races, you won championships. Like you had stripper poles at what, you know what I mean? We've been on every spectrum of it. Yeah, you've you've seen the gamut. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, I don't know if it's salty. Like I think a lot of people agree with what you're saying. Yeah. It's like not a lot of people... I mean, I was pretty deep in it. I didn't know half the stuff that you just said. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's just... I've always, like I've always said, and maybe it's not the answer. I've always said, I think almost like the France family needs to buy Supercross, like that does NASCAR, you know, like because, you know, at least with NASCAR, there's money paid back to the teams. And this isn't about the, I don't want to get into a conversation about, oh, who should get the money, the riders or the teams, but there's no other sports that I know of, racing sports out there that I know of that the team has to go out and race every single dollar. And when the first race starts, there's no opportunity to recoup any money along the way. Mm. And think about that. That's how it is with motocross. You have to make a dollar to spend a dollar. 
okay? You Once the season's off and running, there's no chances of a championship bonus for a race team or just like with NASCAR, like, you know, a car makes the main event. Like, I don't know how many people in, a, in Australia follow NASCAR. You'll see some cars do the start and run like five or six laps and they'll pull off and load up the truck and head to the next race because they got start money. The team got start money and the driver got start money. I didn't know that. That's how, that's how any form, like Formula One, like that's how they all work. You know, Supercrosses that I know of is the only one or one of the few ones or probably the only one at that level there's no money that comes back. Do you know that a, a pro to win Anaheim one Feld pays the winner $25,000. I mean, that's the same person that McGrath got in the nineties. It hasn't yeah. changed. You know, that's, and that's what we're getting at. It's just, and once again, I'm not beating up on Feld once again, from their seat, it's a business and they have to run it on a P and L. And I understand that, but from a purist and a, and a fan and being on both sides of the fence, I think there's a lot of things they could change to make it better for everybody. But I also think it will never happen because you have these dinosaurs that are running the manufacturers and you have these dudes that have been in their seats way too long through the clear channel and all the transitions of all of it. They all think their shit don't stink. And it's just going to be it's going to take 20 years for a new batch of people to get brought in. But I don't think the sport will be around in 20 years. I hope it is. I yeah. really do. But I don't have a lot of hope that it will be. And but man, like that's where you see like Red Bull straight rhythm. Like, fuck, people have to get behind that event. Totally. Like, that's the what Jeremy's doing with that whole thing with, like, two strokes only. Yeah. Like, fucking Stank Dog won. Yeah. He beat Villapoto. Yeah. And it's, like, it's so cool to have an event like that that, that is looking after the riders. Like, Jeremy's paying these dudes to yeah. to go, well, Red Bull. And they put production people, value they, in it. Exactly. And, and, the, and the way they shoot it in the TV package, every person is seen, therefore those logos get seen, therefore those sponsors are happy. Yeah. Uh, true story. I sat with Feld at this meeting, and, you know, they are like, we want to get your opinion, how can we make it better, blah, 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 blah. I said, tell you what, the heart of motocross is two stroke. And there are mm. a million guys out there like myself as, as a teenager or Ricky Carmichael's a teenager that never in today's world would have made it to where we were. Ricky couldn't afford to as he, as he was a kid and I couldn't. Why don't get rid of the stupid fucking hot or the, the loading the hay bales in the back of the pickup truck Ugh. for that fucking 15 minutes. I said, do a West Coast and an East Coast non-factory, non-supported privateer two stroke main event. I said, you can run their qualifying and practice in a 10 minute window during the day. They get a 10 lap race, do a East coast and a West coast, just like lights. I will give up a ride. Whoever wins the series, I will give them a ride next year on the 450. God, that's sick. Mechanic bike, whole deal. I will give them a ride. Cause I know selfishly enough, I know I'm going to get a lot of press out of that, but I will spend the money. I'll spend the couple hundred grand that'll take to take that person racing. Dive, do that. There wasn't even a second conversation about it. Because you know what was more important? Throwing those stupid fucking hay bales in the back of that Toyota to truck Toyota to get that fucking Toyota money. Which was probably, in a roundabout way, some kind of like freebie that they threw out to sweeten a yeah. deal in like Monster Truck. Or, you know what I mean? I like, mean, whatever. Because you know, it's but, all like kind yeah, of linked But in. like, do they want to reinvest into the sport? The sport do yeah. they want to conserve the sport? Or they just want to suck the but life out of it? you want that quick Toyota check. Exactly. But dude, you know what's crazy? Like, straight rhythm last year you had Ronnie Mack and Stank Dog in the final. Mm -hmm. And when that final was over, I can't remember who was in the 450 final. It was Marvin and someone, mm -hmm. right? Marvin's one of the premier riders. Yeah. The stands fucking emptied. I bet. After Ronnie. And I was 
filming it and I'm tripping out. Yeah. I was tripping out that people were leaving the stands as one of the best 450 riders on the planet is sitting on the gate. Yeah. Why? Because they were f- they were pumped. Yeah. They got to see like that that Stank Dog and Ronnie Mack final was like it was great, amazing. And then you've got they took full advantage of Ronnie when Ronnie's like, well, I figured out a 69% chance and it's like live TV and he comes up with but that. Why do they like shit. it so much? Cause they're showing a personality. a personality. It's not about what he's doing on the track. Yeah. They're showing the personality and people love two strokes. Yeah. It's, it's back. And exactly. now this year, Red Bull straight rhythm is all two strokes. That's awesome. And it's, it's genius. People that, that ratings of this year's, straight rhythm is just going to crush. Yeah. Do you know what the ratings for Supercross are back home? It's a fucking joke. They're barely breaking a million views. That's crazy. I mean, think about it. I have almost as many people on my social media as, uh, yeah. as viewers are on fucking Supercross each year. Yeah. Out of control. And even like when, when I was filming and you guys would have had the same thing, like we can't even make content no. around it because they sell the rights to Fox. Yeah. And it's like, it, but man that's the same everywhere like I filmed for V8 Supercars which is like mm-hmm. our NASCAR yeah. and then they the team that I was filming uh, the team Triton Racing mm-hmm. they their guy got punted fucking cartwheel dude like one of the biggest crashes of the year and I was just doing their shit for social and I couldn't even show the car crap like the team manager watching it crash on TV in the background of the shot now like you can't do it I'm like what? you're blowing it yeah like it's done now yeah. your live tv event is done now you yeah. want to make this shit live forever yeah fucking put let it, it on instagram on exactly put it on instagram let people share it let people repo let this moment live forever yeah it's still at your race like we can't it can't be on fox sports on repeat no once that moment's done exactly it's fucking done but it's dinosaurs that are in that position mm-hmm and yeah. it's but it's crazy that you just see it in in so many different forms of it's racing. painful to watch and at a certain point it's just like do you, are you a part of the problem or are you a part of the process you know mm. and and that's just you know that's what came out with me and ricky we just got to a point where it's like you just we don't part feel of the machine, yeah. yeah and we don't feel that it'll ever be sustainable without either one of us our name on it and it's just like you know we had a good run and Let's go spend time with our kids and do other shit. We drank a ton of beers. Yep. Had, sat in yep. a lot of airports. Held some pretty bitching trophies and stood, the, stood on the podium and did the damn thing. The back and forth that you guys had with the planes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, you two are just idiots. Oh, dude. It, we, we, me and him have some good times, man. We, we, go, we go pretty in on each other. He, yeah, it's he, relentless. Dude, same with, same with Twitch. I yeah. feel like that, that oh, yeah. culture of like you guys shit talking each other oh, on social non-stop. media that's it's pretty amazing it's you got to, but you got to be good friends to do that too or just thick skin yeah but true. yeah but it's definitely years of being good friends yeah it's it's uh it's a good time i was just with twitch and sturgis and it's funny because he's kind of like the new guy in v twin so i get to kind of fuck with him a lot too so what's the v twin stuff is that what's kind of got you the most fired up at the moment yeah for me personally it's uh i it wasn't a planned thing it was just more of a sort of a hobby that has fortunately enough kind of turned into a, another career for me so explain it to people because i fully don't even get it so basically so the short version is it was it was a bucket list for me so in america v-twin being uh harley indian uh you know the, the v-twin motorcycle the the, cru- the cruiser motorcycle massively popular in america um you know i mean it's, it's a bit popular here and we, we have it's certain rallies. Bigger, yeah. yeah, it's getting bigger here. And what's really popular in America is we have these rallies. You know, you have like Daytona where Supercross is. 
Sturgis, you know, there's Dude, Daytona Black Week is nuts. fucking loose. Yeah, that's been going on for 80 years. Yeah. Sturgis has been going on for they just celebrated uh, 78 years. So this is a very old cultural thing in America. And I've always been a fan of V-twin motorcycles. I've had a bunch of Harleys. And so long story short, uh, as a bucket list for me, I got invited to be the Grand Marshal for the 75th Sturgis rally. No, oh, no which was shit. insane. Like, you know, yeah, that's massive. Yeah, it was. I mean, like I said it's it's just, it's more of a bucket list thing. It's like, well, I get to be the Grand Marshal. So I got to host a bunch of rides and drank for free the whole week and, you know, had to get out of jail free card and hung out with the mayor. Like it was really, really cool. And, and I had been going to Sturgis for at that point. That was like my fifth or sixth year going. And for me, every year is a boys trip. You know, we spend two weeks riding, you know, about 6,000 miles round trip and go to Sturgis. So, uh, so when I did, so that year going out for the 75th, um, I got a road glide and I did a bunch of like, I'm a tinker. I work on bikes mm. and I just, I can't sit still. I tinker. So, uh, I built a bike, nothing crazy. Just kind of did my own version of a little custom motorcycle, rode it at Sturgis that year, a couple magazines, photographed it, you know, and got, got some hype out of it, which was super flattering and fun for me. Then, um, later that year, because of the little bit of buzz about, you know, me building this bike and being the grand marshal, I started getting invites. Um, I got invited for hot bike tour, which hot bike tour in America is the biggest since all the TV show crap went away and all that. It's the biggest motorcycle custom bike building competition in America. And it's hot bike magazine that puts it on. So I got a call from my buddy who's an editor um, over there and he's like, Hey, how, how serious about this stuff are you? And I lied. I was like, oh, I'm super into it. I'm, I'm, I'm in. fucking, I'm all in. He's like, well, do you want to be a builder, invited builder for a hot bike tour? I was like, fuck yeah. Like <laughs> without even thinking about it. Yeah. It's like, all right. Well, you're in. So I then started. So at this point it was still kind of early, but I, I saw that there was like definitely some excitement about me being a dirt bike rider, kind of jumping the fence, authentically jumping the fence. Cause I enjoy these bikes and yeah, working on myself. Yeah. And so I started putting a lot, a lot, lot more effort at that point. So I spent all year building this bike for that competition bike went on competition. I won two of the stops of the five, which was not expected, but super flattering. And, and it literally just kind of snowballed. So much we talked about earlier in, with my motocross, like I kind of had like a long-term vision, you know, like I want, I'd rather be the young guy on back in baggers than the old guy on dirt bikes, you know? Mm. And I feel that there is a lot of future in V twin. I, I enjoy it. It's a passion of mine and I love working and building bikes. So it got kind of serious for me about three years ago and I've been kind of, I took the torch and run. I've done probably about 15 custom builds uh, in the last three years. Uh, the bike I did last year uh, for hot bike, I got invited back for hot bike tour and I actually won the tour last year with a, a sidecar that I built. And then- Is that that crazy chrome? Yeah, it looks thing. like a, yeah, uh, yeah, a fighter yeah. jet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I built that, uh, that ended up winning the tour. And through that, I wanted, which has been great because like I've been, I've been working with Dunlop tires for 25 years now. And uh, so I'm now an ambassador for Dunlop on the street side. And mm. I've worked with Bell Ray for 10 years. I'm now on the street side. So I'm able to keep some of these relationships that I would have aged out at in motocross. Mm. I'm able to keep them in V twin. And then now I'm working with corporate Indian. And, and it's not just that, that like you can keep getting checks, like they're good people. Like when you, Oh, awesome. Yeah. Industry people that you start really working with you get these relationships with like yeah it's sort of sad when they time out it is and you, you know? don't get to kind of hang with them in the same way exactly and that's what's great like you take dunlop you know i've been i've been riding for dunlop for 25 years i've been riding dunlop since i was on 80s and you know here i am i get to continue and now i have an entire new future in v twin working with dunlop and that's really what my goal is like i love building bikes i love 
I love being in my shop with my kids hanging out and me and Big B bickering and throwing wrenches at each other and, and, and creating these motorcycles. I love that part of it. I love hooligan racing. And honestly, I love going to motorcycle rallies, drinking beer, meeting new people, talking about the good old days, doing my charity ride and just, and just enjoying the twilight that is my motocross career. Yeah. So I'm having a great time doing it. And you know, I feel like I'm kind of helping Indians sell some bikes and working with companies I'm working with and just having a great time doing it. Is the bikes that you're building, are they for sale? Like you're actually doing custom jobs for people? No, uh, you know what? I, I did two, two I, you know, customer builds. I did one for Oakley um, that Oakley's taking around America right now That's as cool. a display bike. And then I built one for a friend. And uh, not that there was any harm in doing them, but I, I only build stuff for myself because there's my heart is just not and build something for somebody else. Yeah. I don't want to go down that path. I, I really enjoy, like for me personally, I'll build anywhere from two to four bikes a year. Um, usually one is my personal riding bike for that, that fiscal current, current riding year. Yeah. And then I'll do one project for Indian or for a tour. Like right now, when I get home, I got three builds I got to do by February. Um, but they're either for myself or for a competition or for Indian or for, for something. But I don't want to do the customer thing. I don't want, I don't want to do, I don't want to cross that bridge. Like this is one thing I'm, I'm completely notorious from turning a passion into a, into job. a, into a job and then I eventually hate it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm really trying to kind of uh, tie my hands a little bit and keep this thing super fun. Cause I'm having a great time doing it. And is it just you and big B doing it? Yeah. Or do you have like more people at the shop that you nope. work with? Or? It is me and him. Fuck. Literally me and him. And, uh, it's, it's, and it's fun. You know, we, He's another guy that you two have some epic, epic shit talks going. Oh God, man, dude, we we've You've known friends. each other for a fucking oh, long 20, 20 time. Twenty years. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, twenty years we've been hanging out. No, uh, yeah, he's been either working with me for me, you know, together with me for about fifteen of those. Um, it's it's funny. Like I I feel like the measure of a person is how long do you have your friends for? Yeah. Don't, don't you agree? Oh, totally. Like yeah. you see some people and I mean, especially in like moto, it's like people are running with new clicks every Rotating, day. And yeah. it's like just this carousel of like five minute friends. Yeah. And especially when you carry heart and your wife's pink and you've got that, you, you're living in that world. Like there's always people that are like, not there's always people, but there's, it's unavoidable but that you're going to come across people in your life that are not going to be there for genuine oh, for sure. reasons. Right. Yeah. But you're a guy that's had the same friends for, yeah, like 20, 25 years. And I think that that says a lot about your friends, but you as well, because it's fucking easy to just keep keep keeping around those people that are going to keep telling you. Yeah, a bunch of people, fair weather friends that tell me how awesome I am every day and how much I rule and how cool I am. Yeah. Mm. I mean, who doesn't want to hear that once in a while, but... What's rad is when a buddy that I've been friends with for 20 years, it says, dude, you're being a fucking idiot today or you're being yeah. a fucking asshole or how about pull your head out of your ass? That's way cooler. Yeah. In my book, at least, you know. I definitely think so. And I, I, it's got to like, it just speaks to people's character as well. Yeah. To, you know, kind of be in the world that, that you're in. And I think that if anything, it's like probably a good leveler for you to see where you're at. Because exactly. it, it'd be easy to kind of, like, I mean, yeah, you can you can do what the fuck you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'd be easy to go down that rabbit hole, but I, I don't know. Like maybe maybe it's being from Las Vegas of a rotating door of, you know, super sketchy people that come through Vegas tourist town. But I I appreciate authentic people. Did you get caught in the Ve- Vegas trap? I at, never did. At points. I never did. Um, mainly because uh, 
I was so focused on motocross my entire life. I was mm. so focused. I mean, I, I was really, really serious with motocross racing at 10. So my life was motocross from 10 years old until now. So fortunately enough, I stayed clear of it, but I also have a lot of friends that didn't, you know, mm. because the thing is it's Vegas is a great place. If you're into dirt bikes and snowboarding and skating and like being outside and doing rad, super fun shit, mountain biking, whatever. But it is a fucking awful place if you have any sort of vices or yeah. you like the booze or the booger sugar or gambling or any of that shit. It's it's fucking cancerous. Yeah. Well, dude, even like just I was in Thailand and we're at the Patong Road or oh fuck Bangor Road, I think, mm-hmm. which is the main kind of tourist hub of Phuket. Uh-huh. And a dude like. I was walking down there the first night. I didn't even go after that because basically I was there in like an eight-day jiu-jitsu camp. Uh-huh. So we trained for four hours a day and it was fucking brutal. Yeah. Like it was it was hard. Yeah. And on the last day, they pretty much like release the hounds. They take a bus in to Patong and go nuts, boys. But yeah. I, I was like, I'm fucking out. But we walked through the first night. There's like lady boys everywhere. There's fucking hookers everywhere. There's yeah. like dollar, like dollar for five fucking shots of alcohol. And I'm just like looking in and like, I've got Bender friends. Like yeah. I've got friends. You've got Bender oh, yeah, friends. For sure. And I'm like, whoa, I can't come here with you. Yeah. This is, this is a fucking black hole for you. Oh yeah. That you could not get out of. Yeah. And Vegas is the same. Vegas. Yeah. It's, it's got a really dark side to it. You know <laughs> I mean? I spent, I've spent 32 years there and I've, I've, I mean, even like through owning my businesses there, like between my tattoo shops and, uh, and my nightclub. You know, I, I would have to import tattoo artists, you know, and it's like, look, man, here's the deal. Go have fun for fucking 30 days. But after 30 days, tighten your shit up because it will fucking consume you. And I'm not even exaggerating. Probably 50 to 60 percent of the people that I brought in d- didn't didn't make the test of time. And they ended up fucking gone nine, 90 days later. Yeah, dude, I've been caught in the Vegas thing. Oh, yeah, I've done like the. Hey man, not coming to Supercross. Uh, I've got some fucking chicks in a hotel room, and I'm just not leaving. Yeah, and it's just like it's easy. <laughs> it's fucking easy oh, to do. Dude. I've seen lives real. I mean, literally ruined in that place, dude. I remember like I went to uh, well one Supercross. We had like you had a party. Was it like you and Jared or or one of the? Was it? It was with you and the Merrill Boys or mm-hmm. something. And we went. We get. We ended up getting Ken in there. When he may or may not have been, uh, was and, it at uh, my club or was it somewhere else? I can't remember, man. I, was you, is your club at Hard Rock? It was at Hard Rock. The rock rock and roll club is called Wasted Space. Yeah, that was my place. But I don't know if I don't know if it's there. Maybe maybe it's a different uh, one of the different properties. But a- anyway, man, it like I don't remember. So that's yeah, that tells you yeah. where we were at. But it was like I just see all the mechanics and riders, and it was just like this closed door, and it was like, righto, the leashes are off, and yep. the fucking none of the team <laughs> managers are around. I was just like, holy shit, look at this place! Oh, you think that's a big deal? You should have been around in the nineties. Oh, I can't Supercross even in the nineties at Vegas Supercross when it was all wrapped up. Oh yeah, it was a whole different world back then. Who were the? Oh, I guess you can't really name names, but it, it got pretty weird back in the nineties. I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't weird. It was actually fucking awesome because back in those days, I mean, even going, you know, to 93, like I moved to California in 93 when I graduated high school and I was there as a racer until 98. But, uh, but back in those days, it was like you raced and you partied. Yeah. And you know, like I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong, but at least we know which one was more fun. We definitely know which one was more fun. Like you, if you follow like Denny Stevenson or any of those guys on Instagram and it's like, Dude, we all used to hang out together. We used to ride together. Dude, 
your day consisted of going for like a three mile run, going pounding out laps, and then you'd go to the local nightclub. You know, we had a lot of fun. We we had a great time, and on off weekends, everybody would go to Havasu, and it was it was a, it was a time that will never be replicated, nor maybe shouldn't shouldn't you know because there's probably a lot less money in the sport back then than there is yeah. now. And, you know, maybe it was a little bit less eyeballs on the sport back then than it is now. But, fuck, it was such a fun time in the sport. Like, it was just so much fun back in those days. And that, that kind of shit's, like, not healthy to last forever either. No, but you know what I think isn't healthy to last forever is what's happening with the sport mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. It's just between how fast the bikes are getting and how gnarly the tracks are getting and the burnout and the injuries. I don't think it's sustainable either. Mm. I mean, I would I would put my money on the 90s over what's going on right now. I mean, mm. fuck, I've been there. It's like biting your fingernails. You put all your money into this fucking racehorse and they get hurt third round in. And the injuries were a lot gnarlier now than they were back in the 90s. It's so true, man. Like, you didn't see the Ken Rocks and Arm injury Mm-mm. back in the day. Like, you'd see some collarbones. You'd see some fucking ACLs. But yeah. not to the level that... Well, it's just their tempo. Yeah. I mean, it's... I'm a firm believer. Like I said, it's it's archaic, but I'm a firm believer. They want to fix all this shit and get bike sales back up and have you know an insurance that the rider's going to last longer. Give all the OEMs three years. Go to a stock two-stroke 250, and maybe it's a 150, maybe it's a 175, maybe it's not a 125. Yeah, because it's slow as fuck. You go back to a, a, a spec bike, just how NASCAR runs like the restrictor plates, or yeah. I'm sure there's a version with V8 supercars. Yeah. You get a stock motorcycle, and you're Same tires. Yep. That way it's a production bike and you get choice of suspension and tire selection. Yeah. You want to, you want to win on Friday, win on Saturday, sell on Monday. What better way to fucking sell motorcycles than to know that you can buy that bike yeah. off the floor. Yeah. It's going to save injuries. The racing's probably going to be a little bit better because everybody will be a lot closer. And I think the injuries will be a lot less. Now mm-hmm. it's a pipe dream. It would never happen. Yeah. But I think if you like really kind of spent 10 minutes thinking about that, be like that would have a lot of positive effects and think about a race team can run for a fraction of the cost yeah i mean a fraction of all you i mean and once again i want to cut out like staff and whatnot but i mean dude i but it's sustainable. i would spend millions of year dollars a year in in parts and suspension tech or uh, suspension pieces and factory parts Mm -hmm. millions to race two fucking motorcycles what if I could go race an entire season on 50 grand in parts? That yeah. would rule. <laughs> and you'd see more teams. You'd see more opportunities more for riders. Hey, and anybody can get in at that point. Yeah. I mean, think if you could just go to the dealership and buy two Honda 250s and get a suspension tech and go lease some, you know, go lease some KYB or show a suspension and you get, you got a fucking title contender. Yeah. And it'd bring in like artistry, like real good tech guys, real yeah. good suspension guys. It'd kind of bring back that artistry that created like the Mitch Payton. Yeah. And the, you know, cause they're artists at the end totally. of the day. But now it's just like, just fucking chucking down a checkbook. Oh, it's brutal. It's mm. absolutely. That's why I say it. it's, it's at a certain point it isn't sustainable, yeah. especially when these dinosaurs that are steering the ships at all these factories, when they're finally like, eh, we're not going to do this anymore. Or, and you're seeing it like, dude, world rally championship, like the teams that won that shit forever. It's like, nah, can't yeah. do it. We're not doing it. Exactly. Dakar. They're just like, no, it's like, no one's immune to this shit. At a certain so, point, you, there has to be a formula of units sold to dollars invested in that yeah. footprint. There already sort of is, but there's always, you know, stealing from Paul to pay Peter from a factory standpoint. Yeah. But at a certain point, it's going to be like, okay, guy, enough is enough. We're selling 5,000 units and we're having to spend $10 million to support three race teams. 
it's the the, the map well, like you got to think too like uh, dude ricky's the best example like for the money he was paid on suzuki to what got sold in rmz 450s well yeah you're kidding well that's the thing in the 450 how do they the get industry. that money back they don't because four strokes are in the industry mm. i mean i when i was an amateur racer whatever and whether it was amateur racer or professional racer i would get six motorcycles a year i get three 125s and three 250s i'd have one practice of each a stock and a modified and go out and race now you can buy now i being that i ride for husky motorcycles on dirt i can get away with one 450 for two to three seasons yeah so, I mean, yeah. it doesn't take a doesn't take a fucking chemist to figure out. <laughs> yeah, you guys screwed the pooch. You made way too dependable of a motorcycle that's yeah. way overpriced that no one can work on themselves. Yeah, no, it's fucking heavy. Yeah, dude, like the the best example. I wanted to I wanted to invite you out on the weekend. I just didn't know if you'd have the time. But we just did a six hour enduro, and it's like, dude, it's fucking crazy. This basically like this is a really cool thing of like how the industry's gone right there's a magazine called transmodo they were they sold magazines and then they just were like well we can't make any money they started doing these events right hmm. and it's like the i always say like i guess it's like a my infamous line that i use have you got to get out of here soon i assume yeah. uh i always say like you're a douche if you want to win this race yeah like if you go there and you try and win you're an asshole yeah, yeah. it's kind of like day in the dirt yeah. in a way yeah, yeah and it's like so you're going there for the experience not for the checkered flag yeah yeah and this year so this is a third year that they've run it at our the conondale mm-hmm. so we went there and i rocked up husky gave me a couple bikes to to use to do the race and it's like a team event six hours you just do as many laps as you can uh-huh. and it's like fuck i wish i would have known dude, i got my gear back here fuck i was i was so close but you hadn't replied I to know. like the other stuff so i was like ah, i don't want to i was like ah fuck it'll be too much but because like dude i had two huskies there and everything like it was perfect but um it's like we got there and this year like the last two years been massive and then we got there this year and i pulled up and i was just like holy fuck like this entire field like huge grass field dude was full of people camping for two days at this event and it it's just like people that will never race a motocross event in their life yeah people that'll never give a fuck about who's winning supercross mm-hmm. it's just like the real core people that that tick these yeah. are the people that they're like buying everything at full rip retail and i think there was like me and my brother worked it out but it's probably about four million dollars worth of motorcycles there. oh probably yeah and it's just like they're winning now mm-hmm. they're winning they're the best events in australia yeah. and they're bringing day in the dirt to australia it's, yeah i heard about that yeah so it's like in a three weeks two weeks yeah it's the weekend after co- i leave i was gonna say are you still here for that no i'll get you a husky that's why i'm pit was that local like was that close by here it's fucking uh, an hour away oh fuck of course can you change the flight no i was talking about what just happened this past week oh uh, this one oh yeah. yeah it was like an hour away yeah. yeah of course it was i know dude it was brutal like it was because it was super dry out there right yeah. now and it was like fuck it was one of the hardest tracks i've ever ridden that's right but so basically it's like it's uh like unadilla basically so uh-huh. it's like a grass track yeah and then they just slashed it and fucking bunted out the the um like the, course the grass track yeah, yeah. and then it goes up through the hills and it would have been about an 11 or 12 mile course uh-huh. and you just do laps in six hours and that's rad you would have fucking frothed on it oh, but, i would have loved that i love i love torture and we just like dude we got we got up there the night before and we built a fire and we fucking talked shit and drank a bunch of beers and that's awesome quick shades are blown away and we're all just 
fucking laughing and carrying <laughs> on and uh. like where so they had an auction for the you can auction to buy like a two minute lead mm-hmm. and my brother and uh and his mate they spent 1500 bucks to get the lead <laughs> but it goes to like the farmers charity yeah, yeah so they were like they're like fuck it goes to charity so yeah. they spent 1500 bucks my brother goes out he actually shreds uh-huh. so he he goes out comes he just got passed by the factory husky dude oh really so so they come in so they're in second but like neck and neck and then Sawley, they're all good. They ended up getting second outright. That's right. Sawley goes and fucking high sides a bike off the side of the cliff and it's costing him 10 minutes. So oh, we're just, shit. we're just geeing him up the whole weekend, being like, you just <laughs> fucking blew $1,500, dude. A $1,500 oh, lead. That sucks. But it's like, I guess the, the point of it is like, they're the, that's what's winning. That's winning now. Yeah. And that's what the hooligan racing. Yeah. It's like, people are sick. Like we know we're getting jacked on all this stuff. I know. Like our motocross national series in Australia is a fucking joke. That's terrible. Like, it's so, so bad. And I mean, I'm a, I'm, I am a hater when it comes to that. And I've said yeah. so many times, but I've, I've been there. I grew up. That was what, how I started filming. Then I went to America and I seen how it worked there. Like I've seen it. Well, it's painful to watch something that you've been invested in for such yeah. a long period of time just get destroyed or get ruined due to ill-willed people, mm. you know? And and honestly, that's why I that's why I love so much like with the V-Twin stuff that I'm doing right now, just because of... It's like that grassroots sort of Well, feel. it is. You, you have this history that is these big mega rallies. And I'm sure there's all this bullshit that happens behind the scenes. But from me being on the fun side of it, you have, you know... Daytona that's been going on for 80 years. You have Sturgis that's been going on for 78. You have Laconia that's been in the 60s. But then you have this young, which, and traditionally they've been kind of like for older people, you know, call it, you know, 40 and older, most of the Mm. rallies. But then you have this resurgence of young people through the hooligan racing, through like all the, I don't know what you really call it, but like the performance, you know, stunt V-twin stuff with all the guys on the Dinas. And then it's like, you know, that you have that whole resurgence. And then you have, like I said, like you have that, the flat track stuff and you're kind of getting back to roots of like, yeah, yeah I'm going to pack a tent and I'm going to ride my motorcycle in and I'm going to fucking race hell and have fun for a weekend. And it's not about the glamour. It's, it's about yeah. roughing it and it's about exactly. being hungover and it's about having to ride, like being uncomfortable while you have to exactly. ride all this. It's like, that's the, it's like the journeys. That's what we do every year. Yeah. Every year I got me and a group of guys. We do... On a low side, 4,000 and a high side, 6,000 miles in two weeks. You know, we, we pick a different part of the United States to ride from and we ride three days, four days to Sturgis, about five to 800 miles a day and fucking poison ourselves with alcohol and carnival food for a week in Sturgis <laughs> and then spend a, train. Yeah, and then spend another three days riding home. And by the time we get home, we're like beef jerky, we're sunburned and smoked <laughs> and, you know, toxic. And but we have a great fucking time doing it. And that's the shit you'll remember forever. Exactly. So. Yeah. So that's that's what my new journey is. So anyone that doesn't know much about V Twin, I highly, you know, suggest you kind of research it. And and there's there's a great scene here in Australia. You know, even yeah. like a little bit of riding I've been doing over here. Like I went up to uh, Bruce's place, Iron up, and uh, Resin. Yeah, up at Iron and Resin. And how good's Bruce, dude? Dude, he had, he did a ride this past Sunday. He had probably like 200 people come through his place and do all these organized rides out. And you know, Indians doing a lot down here with it as well. And it's just a lot of fun, you know, it's for, it's kind of like for the aging motocrosser, like when you have finally beat the fuck out of yourself enough to where you can't really go out yeah. and get hurt, you know, go, go get yourself an Indian. You'll be fine. 
Well, we'll wrap it up, man. I uh, I'm really glad we could make this happen. Shout yeah. out to Hammer for uh, for getting it getting for it across sure. the line. Oh, and the uh, dude, next time you're in Australia, give me the heads up, and we'll uh, I will try and organize some shit. Well, that, next time I'm in Australia, my kids, my my youngest will be a little older, so I'll have more free time. Yeah, true. Because you, yeah, <laughs> hey, daddy daycare. That's, that's right. The reality of this shit. It is. It's the truth. But man, I've fucking enjoyed chatting for right an extended period of time. I hope you enjoyed coming yeah. on and do it again. Right on. Well, thanks to everyone listening. See oh, you show. Soon. See you, man. Later. Cheers, brother. Fuck yeah. yeah. Sorry, dude. I feel like I uh, probably kept you longer than that. That's all good. It's all good.